Welcome to Your Aunties Could Never, episode 42, 42, 42. Um, I'm Auntie AK and I'm here with... I'm sorry. Auntie Nana. And Auntie Sade. Hello, my ladies. How are you? Good. Good. It's been a good week. <laughs> feeling vibrant, feeling light. <laughs> getting there, we're getting there. It's nearly Christmas. Do you guys plan ahead for your New Year's resolutions? Do you plan ahead or do you do it on the night the night before? I have like a whole quiz. I don't know, like a series of questions I ask myself every year. And then I compare the answers to previous years. And I've been doing that for like Ooh. seven years. That's cool. I That's like cool. that idea. Please share the questions. I like to ask myself what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, I really like, I really like that idea because it's not yes. like a resolution as such. It's like a checklist. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. I might have to try. Yeah, you, you, you got to share. You got to share some of these with us because I actually like that as a new practice. Sorry. I try and do a vision board on New Year's, and I'll probably do that again this year's vision board. Other than I didn't think it was going to be a lockdown, but I felt myself staying home more. Most things have come into fruition. So it's like, I'll go into next year and I'll do a similar what I expect for 2021. And that will be like my resolutions in effect. That's a good one. Vision boards I'm not really good at. I'm not good at resolutions. I kind of say a few like personal goals, usually around not eating ice and crisps. Yeah, which I break pretty quickly. Do you know when the best, you know when I'm the be most on point is when it's length. For some reason, when it's it's really good. I stick to my goals in Lent and I, it spills over until something breaks me. But Lent, I always stick to whatever I say I'm not going to do. I don't know what it is. It's really psychological. It's not like I'm in church. So I don't know what that is. But anyway, let's get cracking. Good evening, Antoinette, Sonia, Shez, Miss Letang, everybody. Hi. Hey, evening. Hi. Who are we welcoming the family this week? Okay, so we are welcoming to the family. I guess she would be considered our niece, Any, who has basically gone viral with her remix track, Peng Black Girls with Georgia Smith. And I came across the Georgia Smith version, the colours take that they put on them, um, colours on YouTube, and was like, I love this track. And then went to try and find the original and the video for the original that's featuring, I guess, maybe we would call her Ame, the girl that's on there. Again, I don't know how you pronounce her name, but that features another rapper, Ame, um, kind of soulstress type rapper. And yeah, that, that video is just wicked and it's featuring so many African aunties. It like shows a party. There's just a range of black girls. It took me back to like just hanging around Lubbock Grove Estate. It's just such a brilliant track. and. Big, huge salutes to Any for putting this track out there. I wish her all the success in the world. Welcome, Any. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You can, can awesome. find her. Her name is Any Integrity. That's what her handle goes by. And any E-N-I, right? E, no, E-N-N-Y. Okay. That video made me smile when I watched it. Most definitely, I was like, yeah, this is a good, good-ass video. I liked it. Yeah. All right, ladies, what's in the news? What have we heard? What's 
been getting on our nerves, what's caught our attention. I think, first of all, Farah, you're going to take us into Christmas. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish it could be Christmas every day. <laughs> Boris doesn't. Um, so this time last week, we were in tier two, about to enter tier three. Then along came a day called Saturday, and <laughs> Boris decided that tier three wasn't enough and that we needed to go into tier four, meaning lockdown mark two, I guess you would call it. So this, I mean, it's lockdown mark three but it's replicating lockdown mark two, not quite mark lockdown one. mark one. So my question to you guys is, because he has said, you know, if you're going away for Christmas and you pack your bag, unpack it, can't spend <laughs> Christmas with your family, you've got to spend Christmas on your own. I'm really sorry to do this to everybody, but my baby mothers have got me up against the wall <laughs> and I don't see them. He didn't really say that, but anyway, my point is, do you think, that people are actually going to pay any attention to rules and regulations for tier four during this Christmas period. Do I think people are going to pay any attention? You know what? I think people will get away with what they, they will try and get away with what they can get away with, to be honest. I just think the whole thing is just really shitty, to be honest. Like, there's millions of people, I think, that, you know, we feel, like, duped, to be honest, because when we were talking about the tiers before and we were talking about the plan for Christmas, there was no mention of tier four. And it was, like, you know, three days before, in Parliament, Boris Johnson said, you know, have yourself a very little Christmas. So, OK, cool, we can deal with that. Do you know what I mean? And then, bam, out of nowhere, we're in tier fucking four. How the fuck did we get there? Do you know what I mean? I can't lie, yeah, this year I've been keeping it together, keeping it together on Saturday, I was full-blown rage. Because I was just like, this is enough now. These lies, deception, whatever it is, you're trying to hoodwink us. I feel like rebelling just because, to be honest, do you know what I mean? Because you're taking the fucking, sorry, sorry, my language, I'm so sorry, aunties. But they're taking the piss. They're taking the freaking piss, man. It's enough. It's just enough. Like, I've just had enough. And the thing is, to me, it seems like when we was on tier three, it didn't work. So social distancing isn't working. So why the fuck are we in tier four? Why are we here? I don't blame people if they don't listen. I don't blame them at all because what are we supposed to do? We've been lied to. We've been given the runaround. What are you supposed to believe? Honestly, I think, as human beings, most people have a real healthy fear of getting sick and dying. And so we would be able to police ourselves as to how we're going to behave to actually stay alive. Like literally we've been here for thousands upon thousands of years against various different diseases and humanity hasn't died out. So all of this lockdown bullshit, I, it really annoys me when people get really scared about it and we must listen to the government like you don't have your own sense of danger and your own agency for how you carry yourself so I think that most people now are absolutely over it I think the fear isn't even working from what I can see especially around here although it's never really been that fearful in East London I think most people around here have just carried on about their business and that seems to be exactly what's going on people are still out Folks are still trying to shop where they can shop. I, I expect to see families having dinners together like they do on Christmas. You know, generally Christmas is a quiet time anyway. No Christmas Day when you go out, 
there's not a lot of people out on the streets. It's just like you're in a house and you're out of a house. It's, so I can't even see how it's going to be policed. But I think there's going to be a real minority of folks that decide that they're not going to visit their loved ones this Christmas. And the kind of phrase that he had, you know, stay away from each other this Christmas so that you have, we have more future Christmases. Tomorrow isn't promised for anybody. And, you know, life is too short. If you can spend time with your loved ones, just do it. Is Boris really not going to spend any time with his children this Christmas? Because they're in six different households, at least. I, I really want him to answer that question. The announcement on the Saturday, for me, I thought was thoroughly disgusting to all of the businesses where in this last week is literally like one of the biggest times for all the various industries, the hospitality, hair care, nails, like all of them to literally give them two hours of their day to then be like, we're closing. Nah. And the figures, the numbers that they were giving out as well, to me, does not justify this type of reaction to it because it isn't anywhere as close as to when we went into lockdown in March. And they're just trying to throw numbers at us, not comparing how many people die on a daily average, like how many people die in a car accident. You're not giving us any of these comparisons. You're just throwing numbers, trying to scare people. But when you start looking into the numbers, it's actually not that high. And there isn't the the threat levels to actually be shutting down people's businesses, changing holidays, all of this money. Where's the compensation? Are they going to be compensating people for the flights that they can't take or the people that can't get into the country now? Utterly ridiculous. But yeah, to answer the question, no, people are going to have a Christmas that they were going to have. You know why people, some people are scared is I will play this clip with your best friend, Pretty Patel. On Christmas Day. Would you be advising someone to call the police? Well, first of all, people will exercise their own judgment, and that's a fragrant, a fragrant breach of the law. So you would advise someone to well, call the police in those circumstances? Well, Charlie. Any individual that saw any any laws being broken would take that upon themselves, whether it was speeding, whether it's something, you know... No, but you know what I'm asking you. I'm asking you something very specific yes. in relation well, to I this. Well, if I saw somebody flouting coronavirus regulations and the laws, of course, I would look to inform the police about so that's what the issue is. People are now being encouraged to inform on their neighbours and stuff like that. So I think that's what some of the fears are, that you could be literally having family round because you everyone's socially distanced, everyone's done their thing, been in their bubbles, and then Miss Nosy Neighbour or Mr Nosy Neighbour comes and calls the police on you and all that type of stuff. So I think that's more of the fear. I must say my mum, she's older, she was a bit scared because she was coming over for Christmas. Then she changed her mind. Then she said, it's OK. And I said, look, mum, We've, we're doing what we're doing. We come and see you every weekend. There's no need to be scared. We're all taking precautions. So there's this health, this unhealthy fear, scaremongering that's happening. And I'm just feeling sorry for everybody. And I'm, we're, we're a small family, so it's not, it, wasn't, it hasn't really changed what we were going to do. But um, I feel for everybody else that has big families and had, you know, everyone's been planning and setting up like we've isolated, we've done our bubbles. Because what, what difference does it make? when you've been isolating and you've been seeing people the previous weeks and in your bubbles and keeping to your bubbles, what real difference does it make? A mutual friend of ours, Marianne um, Miles, she said she was on a flight to Jamaica. She landed and it's on the way to Jamaica that and BA announced that, um, announced the thing that Jamaica wasn't welcoming anyone from the UK. So but wow. it was, that's when you're being, being told, but she said she's had her test 
and she's quarantining, so she's okay. For those, for anyone who maybe got went without having a test, I don't know if they were able to, they're now facing having to be sent right back. And um, another person was tweeting saying, the UK is a joke. I flew into Accra, got a COVID test and results within 45 minutes of arrival. I walked straight through Heathrow yesterday, no test, no scan, no nothing. So it's just this willy nilly, irresponsible. We care in some parts, we, care, we don't care in other parts. We're really strict in some parts and we're really unstrict where it really matters. You're talking about people coming from other countries. That's probably where you need to be a bit more strict than people who've been so prepared these past lockdowns in how to manage their social bubbles and avoiding all the madness. And it's just a horrible, horrible. And I, I with you, Auntie Shadi, I, I felt it for the first time more than any, this announcement, because I my projection is like, what when are we actually going to be out of this? Like, that's my fear now. It's not, you know, getting the disease and protecting myself and doing the best that I can. So hopefully no, no, no one in my circle will get it. But it's more about what the hell is, the, what, what, what will the world look like in 21, 22? Are we going to have the same, people are saying that we're going to have the same issue in 21. It's going to be on and off intermittent lockdowns and probably turn the corner in 22. And that's what I'm not looking forward to. Another year where you just can't relax, where holidays could be cancelled and can't see your people and just chill and just enjoy a consistent time of being, you know, I'd hate to miss another summer as well. That'd be horrible. So... I don't believe to answer the question. I don't believe people are going to listen to it. I think people are going to break all the rules, but people should be careful about their neighbours. It's not less about getting sick. It's more about their damn neighbours that are inner and looking to call police. Grassing. Yeah. Yeah. I would say exactly the same thing. My Okay, I was supposed to have family round. Like every year we have like all the sisters and nieces get together and we do something. So we were going. I was supposed to have everyone round on Sunday, but I will admit it wasn't so much what Boris said that got me because like we cancelled and we instead we all still made our food but we like got my brother to do Uber Cleese. He basically drove around delivering all the food. But it wasn't because of what Boris said. It was because of the fear of people grassing up. That I think because it's coming up to Christmas, people are more fearful of that. Whereas during all the other times, I don't think people were quite as nervous. There was a lot of noise on Twitter on the Saturday night going into Sunday morning about police going around and arresting people or stopping people from doing what they were doing. So I think people were a lot more cautious of that. What I will say about it this time around is the strain is different. So that I think part of the fear from the government is that there is a new type of strain. However, we've all said from day one, this is going to mutate because that's what viruses do. They mutate and they change. They get clever. Like we've always said, if you get that vaccine, who's to say that that vaccine will work on the next strain of it? You just don't know. So the thing with this virus is I feel like there's slight scaremongering only because this new strain of the virus, this new variant of the virus isn't any more deadly. It's just more transmittable. So there's that to consider. The mortality rate hasn't vastly increased because of this new strain. However, it is more transmittable. So therefore, I suppose it can affect more people quickly. However, Boris knew about this strain in September. So if he, you know, they said the first cases of this were noted in Kent. Why in September then, so far as September, did he not mention this? And did he not put provisions in place then? No, in September, it was still very much go out, eat with your friends, eat to dine or extend the eat to dine or all of this sort of crap or let's get back to normal blah 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 and as as you all said three days ago he was in or three days prior to this he was in parliament talking about have a merry christmas he said to sir keir starmer um whatever his name is i'm wishing you a very merry christmas and that's what you need to concentrate on that's what he was told so he's like 
you know, flouting the, the science that he's now saying we move when the science moves. That's what he's now saying. In terms of people's support bubbles, what's the difference between, I, I don't understand, if you have a support bubble, like not in your own household, but say for you, say like you and I take it, uh, all, all of us here, we go and see our parents, right? That's our support bubble. What's the problem with it, with keeping that support bubble during Christmas? It, it's almost as though they didn't really explain the reasons why. If everyone's been careful leading up to, and that's what people were doing because that's what he told us to do, what's the problem with going to see those people now? And, you know, all of a sudden it's, no, lock off completely, stay in your own houses, blah, blah, blah. It's disgusting that he didn't give people enough hours. You've got to, in, to, in terms of notice, you've got to think about all the people who just started to make some money again after not being able to do anything work earn any money and a lot of these people are freelancers so what do they do when he just cuts off their money the day before a week or so before christmas it's just outrageous and you know they're making all these promises about they'll do this that and the other but it takes a long time for any of those claims to go through so and and if you do work it affects any benefits that you have because you have to declare it. And then that takes a lot of time to catch up with itself. So, you know, it's not like they were given 48 hours notice. They were given less than 24 hours notice to stop. And a lot of these people, what are they going to do? Financially, they're screwed. And it's coming up towards Christmas. It's just it, how it's been handled is disgusting. It is an absolute joke. Germany and France, Germany and France and a few other European countries, I believe, they went into this lockdown thing before. During his speech, he mentioned those countries and it's like, yes, but they did it differently and they warned their people that they were going to do it. They didn't dangle Christmas like a fucking carrot in front of them. It, it, you know, it's all right for Boris because he probably doesn't want to see his six children. He's probably all right just at home with the one and his new baby mother. But um, I don't know why I did inverted commas. But, <laughs> but yeah, I just think that it's all been handled really badly. What happens to those people that flew out to different countries and had to fly back? You know, what are they doing? They've all, they've, they're now going to have to claim insurance and all types of things. It's just a blatant fuck fest. That's what I think. Let's and no, to answer my own question, sorry, I don't think anyone's going to pay any attention. I think people are going to do what they want to do. They're going to eat where they're going to eat. They're going to spend time with whoever they're going to spend time with because Boris and his government have not been very clear. So they're going to be like, you know what? Fuck you. That's what and, I think. And to be honest, you know that the MPs have got, they're not going to listen to the rules and damn selves. Let's go to the comments, please. And Andrea says, I agree. They're trying to scare us with all their graphs. Um, Antoinette says, aunties, can we please take bets and keep receipts on how soon after the holiday we get info of MPs who have been caught flouting, flouting the rules? Me says, the government is intentionally causing chaos through misinformation, though through this chaos they can exert control. People writing Boris XL off as dumb are underestimating them and what they're doing. And Nicola says, hi. Hi, Nicola. Hi, Nicola. Um, yeah, I, was, I mean, we said it all. It's it's just a fuck place. And the fact that now we've got um, France has closed, closed its borders. And so we've got loads of deliveries that are backed up trucks and deliveries, all that type of stuff, yeah. import, export, exports. And there's now this other scaremongering, which is going to affect the supermarkets where they're saying citrus fruit, salads and stuff like that. Certain goods are not going to be coming in because of this blockade. And so there's going to be that panic buying, as we've seen before. It's just... Go on, sorry. Yeah, don't you think that this is like 
agree with me what he's saying in terms of like, I think this is all orchestrated. This is orchestrated to implement the vaccine as soon as possible. And also as well, I think this is tied to Brexit, to be honest. I think from the summer, there were like claims that there's going to be issues like getting food from outside the country. And what a perfect excuse, like a perfect cover up <laughs> for that. Do you know what I mean? And it's still not resolved. They're just playing with our lives at this point. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can't remember his name. Is it? Uh, Dominic Saab or Hancock or whatever his name is uh, yeah the guy the number two guy who was trying to stop himself laughing at some serious thing the other day him he was just like you know oh you know we'll probably stop doing the tier system once most people have been vaccinated it's like what yeah. the fuck seriously that's ridiculous as far as I'm concerned vaccine should be a choice not mandatory we're an embarrassment as far as I'm concerned at the moment you know what I mean just back to what you were saying about Brexit, it's it's interesting because Scotland have now said that they want the, they want Boris to go and answer an extension. Isn't that funny? You know that mm. they're not on Scotland's part so much, but because the deal hasn't been done and now we're locked down, there's all of this excuse of well, you know, they've got to have more time in order to sign the dotted line and all of that kind of thing. In terms of the vaccine as well, you're absolutely right. Boris himself said you'll be able to see your families if they've been vaccinated yeah. and all of you have been vaccinated. Like, fuck you. It sh- I shouldn't have to. Why should all of us have to be vaccinated? It should be a choice. It should be your own choice whether or not you get vaccinated. If that's what he did say, Dominic, can't remember what his surname is. Yeah. But if he did say that when everyone's been vaccinated, that's when we'll stop the tier system, then surely that's against all of our human rights. Not that they give a shit anyway. And they don't have enough vaccines anyway for everybody. And they're not accurately reporting the people who are reacting negatively to it as well. Yes, that's a lot of people. Listen, it's not happening. Obviously, Boris needs to go, but do you think he's going to, when do you think he's going to fall on his sword and go? I think spring. Yes, I, mean, I actually think that um, Preeti. I think Preeti is going to be the next. That's what I'm That's Honestly, what I think I think she is. Like I was thinking, can help. That's what I was thinking. I was just like, yeah, she's gunning for the position, and she'll do exactly what Boris did in the lead up to it. Like like when he was mayor. Oh no, I never want to be prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> I've never considered myself that position. Lo and behold, we've got frigging dunce Boris. Do you know what I mean? So I think Preeti is going to do exactly the same and Boris keeps talking about April like he knows something yeah it came out he said like somebody leaked that Boris has been talking about it's not enough money and he's gonna yes. leave East, he probably will I think he'll go at Easter because by Easter we probably would have all been sick and tired of not having fresh fresh food in the um in the aisles and everybody's gonna be like Boris failed. Da, 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 da. I don't know if Preeti will run. I think that this country is way too racist to have an Asian I don't I don't think he's gonna be voted though. Like a Theresa May type scenario mm. when she replaced um David Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. But the party has to put her in. I don't yeah. think there's enough non no I, th- I just feel that the party would be way too racist to have a yeah. pm asian female i just don't think it's gonna happen and i think if they thought about up against Keir Starmer, he's more your traditional english man isn't he and he's more of a uh what's his name a tony blair labor yeah. type person than he is a jeremy corbyn so i think they'd be a bit fearful of her going up against him so they put someone equally, as equally um, dry. Yeah, but as they, won't, they won't call it an election anytime soon. 
No, but don't you think that if she came up, they'd have to do it within a year? Isn't that like always the noise? Because that's what Theresa May had to do, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, is it a rule or does she just want to prove a point? That I, 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 I wasn't sure on that. I don't think it's a rule. I think you're yeah. right. I think they get to the point where they're like they want to prove a point because the you know the country are on um their country are at rest unrest because of everything that's happened and there's a lot of noise from the opposition about there not being an election and there being a prime minister who wasn't actually elected. That's pretty much why Boris did it as well, wasn't it? Because yeah. Boris took over from Theresa May without an election and then was like. Let's do an election then in once. Yeah. So. Yeah, but pretty is really disliked amongst everyone. So I, I, yeah. I think there's that default thing will happen. But Keir Starmer is gearing up to be, even I can't, I, uh, but that, I mean, who cares what I think um, is what they think, I suppose. But pretty, for the, she'll, sit, she'll sit pretty for about a year, if that be the case. And that I think she'll be taken out because she's just too evil. And I think conservative. I, I think they love that though. I know they love that. I think I, they love it. They need someone that's going to like, Who's basically going to swing the sword? That's what they mean, like, you know. I, what I, mean? <laughs> I think just having because I think um, who said it? No, Antoinette saying it and Tasha's saying it in the comments that you know is an Asian female and she's wicked. It's not even like she's slightly warm. She's really wicked. So I think in they'll they like the idea of someone who's going to be ruthless, but in the in the hands of an Asian woman. I don't know. And she's really really wicked. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. She's using her psychic powers, mate. <laughs> Boy, I'm not going to argue. Okay. So that's why I'm quiet. <laughs> so next, we got Auntie Shoddy. Did you know that I was coming to you next? Uh, yeah, because I saw the running order. <laughs> <laughs> I read it. <laughs> um, okay, right. So my story is about the ZZ Mill show. ZZ Mills is a presenter and she has a show. <laughs> sorry, called the ZZ Mill show. That was very basic. Sorry. Um, and she kind of talks about a couple of things and talks about people in the industry, that sort of thing. But this time she done a show that was kind of a little bit different. She had a black police officers on the show, PC Joy Chain and PC Dominic, I don't know his surname, they were talking to her about their experience in the police. I just wanted to know, guys, and also everybody in the audience too, if you saw the episode, what did you think about it? Did it feel like a recruitment drive to you, like it did to me? Or <laughs> did you think it was like really informative? And then also, in general, do you think that black police officers are sellouts? <laughs> Auntie Nana, because you laughed so hard, you got. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that part. Yes, I watched it. I watched Zizi. I really like her interviews. This one, I didn't like so much because I really felt that she was really holding back, and I just felt that she needed to get more out of the police officers. It absolutely felt like some type of recruitment drive. PR stunt they were not the officers to even do it the black woman was quite warm and I know she's had so much stick from everybody being like you've been in this job 14 years and you're still a PC and I want when she said it I was like surely in the moment because as soon as she said that my ears pricked up I was thinking ZZ we know that it's in the news about like black people just staying on foundation level in jobs. Like, how are you not asking her why are you still a PC? Just for her to explain. She could absolutely love that. She could love being on the beat. She may have a family. She may be like, I don't want more responsibility. Blah, blah, blah. But I wanted an explanation from that police officer why she felt 
that for 14 years she has stayed in the same rank. And the guy, I don't feel like the woman was a sellout, but the guy gave me strong coconut vibes, real Guinness, like just everything about him was a bit like, oh, the Met tries, but he's trying to be street. I was just like, this is an actor. He's acting. His dreads, everything. It's like, yeah, he just gave me really strong coconut vibes. I imagine somebody slapping his bum, like just all of that. Like when he's in his team, I just felt that he's that black guy that you'd be like, they're like that, but not you, John, not you, Dom. Like you're you're one of the good ones. Like he gave me those vibes, but it was an interesting watch. She did all right. She just needed to probe further. Like I felt like she really needed to bring up more things from all of the probes into the Met. Like literally going into the reports. What is it? The McPherson reports. Like literally bringing up. They said this needed to be changed in the police force. As somebody that is in the police force, have you felt there's been any like? directly quoting things that the Met should have been doing as they were the black spokespeople for the Met, I felt she needed to probe deeper and not think of questions off of the top of her head. Like, I just felt that it was ill-researched. Yeah, it was. I, I would give her a, a 5 out of 10 on this one. It was interesting. I didn't watch the whole thing. I just saw some of the clips that went out. But this is what I took from it. It's funny that you said that you got coconut vibes from that man because the bit where he was like, she, he was talking about when he's doing his own work and he's driving and he's been stopped. And she was like, but exactly. And he said, no, no, no. It's like he started making excuses yeah. for why he's been stopped. And it's like, bruv, it's plain as day here. You've been stopped because you're black. You know, I can't talk more about it because I, I didn't watch it, but I definitely got coconut vibes from him. The woman seems a little bit more apologetic, not apologetic, that's not the right word, but a little bit um, more uneasy about saying certain things because of the audience. Like she didn't want to get shit come back on her too much, but he just seems happy to chat in coconut terms, as yeah. you said. Even down to his hair, like you said, Auntie Nana, <laughs> his poor, acceptable dreads, because that's what they are. You know, like in certain environments, you'll have certain black people and they want to have long hair, so they'll have acceptable dreads or their perm their hair. I'm talking about men mainly, you know, yeah. they'll do that type and they'll have that mad little ponytail that some of them do because they want to fit in with John. And it is, he, he looked to me as well that if John was tell, like rapping in the car with him, he'd like let certain words slide. That's yeah. the vibe that I got off of him. And I watched like maybe about five minutes and that was it. Yeah, it was all very interesting, him making excuses rather than saying, this is something that I feel that needs to be looked at because I myself have been stopped. Zizi asked a question about, what people thought. Let me play it and then come back. Knowing that the majority of black people kind of don't support your your decision in life to to be a part of the police force. Like, how does that feel? If that's how a lot of people feel, then um, that's like, quite. <laughs> I, I put a quite, I put something called my social on my yeah. page, and a lot of black people just like ask them why would they even do that? Why there's they're sellouts? Yeah. Like, they're coons, so they're the this, question, do you know what the question I have though? Yeah, the question I have is what what would they prefer the police service to look like? And that's kind of like what I want was going to because it is that it's we do judge police officers, black police officers in this position. But what is the alternative? And Mr. I also was like, yeah, you're so lying about, you know, it's okay. They don't tell racist jokes. I like that Zizi did. I did think that interview was a little bit light, but at least she did kind of push like, but when you're in the room with them, are you sure none of them have, you know, you caught any of them saying anything dodgy or any really wanted to push against it. But I didn't believe him. I just don't, 
that culture is not for us. And I, I used to do the hair of a black policewoman for many, many years and her battle to become a senior in her field was never ending. And she had to face white seniors in, I don't know what they call the department, um, holding her back and an Asian guy came in and held her back. So there was all this type of stuff, anything to do with black people, was they weren't having it. And she had a long battle. She had, she was written up about things. She was held to task about so many little tiny incidentals. And then comparatively to her colleagues that weren't, that things were overlooked. She had a real, she stuck at it. That's another thing I used to be like, why, why do you stick at it? I don't, I don't get, because she's like, actually she said that being on the job and seeing black kids and having that, trying to build a rapport with black children and seeing a friendly face and amongst all the racism, that's why she did it. That's why she stuck at the job. So that's what compelled her to stay at it because she went through hell, um, all the stories that she used to tell me. But she used to also tell me about the frustrations of what these, some of these, what these guys were talking about, like how you're supposed to act. And I'm also, I'm always defensive. I think we're all always defensive about the fact that white people, and we see it all the time, white people can rail up, can be vexed, can do the most, can have guns in America, they can have guns be armed, all this type of stuff. Look at Dylan, um, who went and shot up the black church. He was arrested and give, what, taken to McDonald's, Burger King. Mm. And then we know what happens to every other black person who doesn't even, who's not even armed, just looks suspicious, can die. So in that kind of, you know, you've got to know how to behave in the presence of a police officer, that run rhetoric doesn't work for me. I don't get it. But then also there is an element of, okay, so maybe sometimes we should be calm. Maybe we should be like, you know what? Just get, keep your head down, keep it moving, and then you get away and everyone goes home. But I, it's just so hard to comply to that and feel that we always are the ones that have to internalise who we are, be calm, be nice, and let everybody else can do what they want with us and take us to task. So I don't know. And in answer to the question that they, the girl, the woman police officer said, what would you like the police force to look like if you think that black police people are sellouts? What is the counter then? What do you if we know that they recruit racist whites? So I saw it as a recruitment drive for sure, kind of thing, in particularly for London. I, I personally think, this is just my opinion, that the Met Police bought that show, basically. They bought, they bought the episode and that's what they wanted to push. And they got these two particular police officers because of who they are. Do you know what I mean? Like the guy, Dom, he was saying, oh, I tell people that the job is like bad boys, like come for a ride along. Your job is like bad boys. <laughs> I don't think so. But anyway, like I was just like, nah, this is ridiculous. To be honest, I felt like I've got a couple of points. So I'll try and get through them quickly. But like I felt like with the Lady Joy, it, the 14 years didn't bother me as much. I think like the position a little bit, but you've just started this employee group now. You've been there for 14 years and you haven't had an employee resource group for black officers until now. That's a nonsense. And that also kind of like tells me that this is strategy and this is PR to ride on this kind of racial injustice wave that's happening at the moment. And this is what they do and this is what corporations do. And I've been caught up in it myself is like they get the enthusiastic black person who may have had an issue or talking on behalf of someone else and they get you to front it because it speaks to you on a personal level level that's how they get you and manipulate you to be the, the face of it it just seemed like textbook to me so it's all well and good that you're doing that but we'll see what that looks like in a year we'll see what that results look like in two years in three years when ZZ asked her have you experienced anything they were both hesitant she's like I haven't experienced anything personally, but some other people have. But 
what happened with those cases? What were the results of those claims? That was worrying to me. Dom seems really, I'm not going to bite the fan that feeds me. That's what yes. he seemed. He seemed very dis- defensive as far as I was concerned. And I just thought, like, the whole thing is, like, we know there have been reports done that the Met Police is institutionally racist. How can you expect good from an organisation that's institutionally racist? Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't do it, but I think it just perpetuates the stereotype that black people can solve racism. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible, and it's not our responsibility. How about you recruit white officers who are not racist? How about you do that, rather than trying to get us to catch our own? That's the way I saw it. I was just like, this is absolute nonsense. You're you're recruiting or trying to recruit people to come into an organization that's just started an employee resource group. Where is the support structure for them? They must suffer. Now, you want them to come in and suffer in this organization? No, 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 no. It needs, and also it needs to be reflective of the audience. The majority of this country is white. You need to train those white officers. That's what you need to do. And also who come from the area. I like the idea that they're concentrating in areas that people, they're not really focusing on people outside of London to recruit for London. I like that. And I think that's got a lot to do with a lot of the issues with the police. But even Don was talking about, oh, you know, you know, the, the stereotype of police officer is like strong and stoic and and all these things. Well, I was thinking, no, that's the opposite, mate. How they come across is insecure and power hungry. Exactly. That's, that's how they come across, especially in the moment. And I just really have a problem as well, like like ZZ was saying and like you're saying, Auntie AK as well. If someone's been stopped five times in a week, you can't ask them to be calm, you know. But at the same time. As Dom was in the interview, you can't say it's okay for them to be angry. That's a falsity. Because if they get angry, they're going to get arrested. Yes. So I thought that was bad advice. I thought you need better PR training. If you're going to be a poster boy for this, do you know what I mean? You can't be giving out that statement. That's a nonsense. Your colleague, who might not be working with you on the day, he's going to nick him in a minute. Do you know what I mean? For raising his voice. For not answering a question. We're lucky we've got camera phones now that we can see the nonsense. But... That's the question that I really wanted her to ask because she didn't ask them with all of the footage that goes around. And specifically, I wanted her to go to one of them. Like, you know, is his name PC Savage? The one that was like smashing windows and he's been caught twice. Just stopping people. I swear his name is PC Savage. And actually asking them specifically these videos that we see of Met police officers targeting black people. How does it make you feel? How is it dealt with? Amongst you guys, do you discuss it? Like just getting an insight into their day that wasn't done. So really, this was a, a, a recruitment drive. Definitely. Who they were trying to recruit, I'm not even too sure. But definitely the face of policing. I, we, we, why black people can be racist as well. So it doesn't matter who the cop is. Like, really, who they're recruiting is going to fit in with the culture of the area. So whether they're black, Asian, white, if the culture is racist, they are going to find racist people. Not all skin folk are kin folk. Like, I don't need to be stopped or arrested by a black person to feel that this is being done right. The person doing it needs to be arresting or questioning with some decency, like how Dom was speaking, how he talks to people. And you know he doesn't talk to people like that, about sir and madam, and this will only take a minute. And the, like, blatantly, like, the guy was just gassing. We know I, I, You know what? I actually think he probably does 
I, I, don't, I didn't disbelieve him, but he still holds the power in the situation. You still have the ability to take the piss. And I believe that they do. <laughs> I just believe that they do. There's way too many horror stories. There's yeah. just way, way too many. So I just can't accept that you would be pushing for people to join when you haven't even fixed the problems already that are there, exactly. that are glaringly obvious. Or at least acknowledge the problems as well. You know, yeah. like you can't come and say well it's not that bad and that's kind of like what I'm hearing from you guys he was saying and um just from the little piece that I saw too I'd have more respect for them if they came on and they said we acknowledge the problems we see the footage we're working from the inside to try and change it maybe that's what they should have said that would have made this a better conversation that they were a bit more upfront. but I think you can't work for an institution like that and come on and start saying yeah boy I agree because you're going to be out the next day or you're going to if they keep you on because they can't fire you make it so obvious they're going to put you in so much shit as you know we see all the film we don't even need the film we just we know what it's like and especially like based on like I said the woman whose hair I used to do they will gang up against you as they as they say the police look what they done to Michael from um Love Island I don't even like the guy but look look what they done to him he was a police officer kind of thing and they tried to they tried to finish the guy when he was <laughs> he was on a TV show yeah. do you know exactly. what I mean and talk about you you can't talk about this place of being in that so that they're them being on this show was kind of it definitely would have been it is definitely that i felt like it was a bit more of a recruitment tool especially that last question i didn't play the whole lot when the way she was asking like so what would you like you know this is why we need more black people and brown people in these positions but it is arresting our own what what benefit does it make because yes you see a nice well, you see your auntie arresting you, your uncle arresting you. Do you know what I mean? You see, so what the, What does that do? The psychological damage, what does that do to a black child, a young black or any black person who's being arrested by someone that looks like them? Isn't this throwing us right back to slavery when they used to get the black folks to do the overseers. Yeah, the overseers and do all that type of stuff? Yeah. So I mean, didn't the woman say that one of her, like her very first arrest was a black boy? Yeah. yeah. And it was her. And that's the part that's because I mean I again the same woman and also a family member who used to work at Hol um, Felton, she went in with good intentions and I'm sure a lot of as we all can imagine you go in with good intentions, but then definitely the, the family member I knew who left Felton after about a year or two, she's like my heart was broken about when you know that once you're inside it you cannot fight the system because mm -hmm. you come in with your good ideas we're going to get this that and the other for the boys and you know that these boys. You know, actually, this actually feeds into my next topic, so I'm going to come with that for a bit. But it's just how do you fight a system internally? You go with good and you just beaten down because even that's probably why Dom is a Tom because you know what I mean. Like, well, maybe he did at early days went in like, yeah, man, and with my dreads, I'm going to be like, yeah, you're okay, man. Then I'm going to like try and be Mr. Cool, but you end up just being a tool for the system. But I, I don't, I do understand their kind of thought process that maybe if it's if you have more people. You can make, make, I just think it's that high hopes thing. Sorry. So I need to do comments quickly. Yeah. So Tasha says, and even when we do comply, it doesn't mean that we'll be treated fairly and not be in danger. Very true. And also goes on to say, talk the talk, Auntie Nana. The whole point of culture perpetuating and sustaining racism will mean popping in a few black folks will change every, anything. No, we don't like it, don't I think it was will not change anything. Okay, yes, I think agree. It has just been report, just been um, released that nearly nine out of ten children held in custody on remand in London are from 
as you know, they say BAME, but I'm not saying that. Black, Asian, or non-white backgrounds figures have been revealed. Statistics obtained under the Freedom of Information Act requests by Transform Justice and the Howard Lee for Penal Reform show 87% of children on remand in the capital between July and September were from these backgrounds, while 61% were black. Individuals held on remand are awaiting court hearings after being charged with an offence. In England and Wales, the figures show the percentage of black and non-white, Asian and non-white children on remand in the same period had risen from 54% to 57%, whilst 33% were black. And non-white people account for 15 0.5% of the population in England, according to 2016 figures. David Lammy, the Shadow Justice Secretary, who published a review into the treatment of and outcomes for non-white individuals in the criminal justice system in 2017, said, the government's failure to act on racial disproportionality across the justice system is resulting in unfair treatment for black, Asian, and non-white people. The government must now implement the Lammy review recommendations ignored and go further to ensure that all people regardless of their racial background, are treated the same. The justice system must be fair for everyone. So my question is, though I 100% agree, I'm just going to throw in a little bit of a thing. Who's to blame with this increase in black children specifically? I want to speak about black children being on remand or young people being on remand um, in this country and basically in a life of crime because there's all the racist comments that, you know, their families, their fathers are gone working class. And then there's also the thing like institutional racism is the reason why. But who is to blame? I'm I think sorry. it's important yeah. to note that they're on remand. So they haven't been convicted. You can be arrested of something and depending on the judge that you have, be sent to prison on remand. So if you think about the fact that black boys get stopped more often, the chances of them being put in prison before having a court date is going to be higher. I know a lot of black boys, black men, who have been arrested, who have gone to jail on remand, and then their case has either been squashed before going to court, or they've gone to court and they've been found not guilty. So I think that that needs to be taken into account when these figures are looked at. And that again goes back to the topic we were just talking about, about you know black boys being stopped and why they're being stopped. And it also goes to education as well. If they're told in school that they're shit, a lot of them will just believe that and they think, well, or they think, well, fuck you, you don't think I'm shit anyway, I'm going to go on the road because they seem to be able to get what they want from being on the road. And I don't necessarily think that you can look at the parents and say that they're to blame because I know a lot of good parents who have children who have found themselves in these types of situations. And it isn't necessarily anything to do with their parenting style. Um, I guess, you know what, the findings, I'm not surprised. Like it's not too long ago, I think I spoke about the cycle that my nephew found himself in and in dealing with how my nephew came from Ghana, went to what we thought was a good school and then within that good school there was so much drug dealing going on then literally followed through to leaving school before GCSEs, going down county lines. It seemed to be a system that is actually like wholesale exported into school systems and everybody is compliant in this kind of train and it's very hard once your child is on this train to pull them out it doesn't matter what type of family it is he had so many different reference points to leave it clearly was like an indoctrination so the numbers really that's the end side that that remand system is is just a part of it 
it's the beginning parts generally happen in school and the school system is complicit in not informing families that this is taking place for um, lots of reasons they don't they don't discuss it they're not telling you because they're trying to keep their reputations but partly i do feel that they think that this is half of the course for black children that this is where they're going to go a little gang sets up but really when you think of the hierarchy of drugs it's not coming from black people they're being sold to by lots of different fractions and a lot of them are russian they're they're irish there's lots of different people basically preying on on black children and then the system being inherently racist is also compliant in keeping this food chain going and then you have kids in remand it's not even just policing there's so many racist structures that are there to keep this pipe going is very hard to really work out a way out of it other than really you keep your children out of this system because it's so systemic. If your child gets swept into this web of criminality, it's very hard to take them out because there are so many people that are employing lots of different psychological tactics to break down their self-esteem, implemented by teachers as well, but then their peers that are like, in order to build yourself up, there needs to be this monetary structure which is involved in criminality and then you have the police feeding on this and just putting you in remand it's just another form of slavery really to keep you in captivity and there's so many black children involved in this cycle it's heartbreaking but at the same time is who is to blame i don't know can we just i'll throw it out there i'm still putting it back on the i'm putting it back on the parents and uh, i'm a parent that has my children in a primary school and I'm not homeschooling them. So if they went down that route as well, having an insight into how it plays out, I, I would blame myself. So I'm blaming the parents for allowing their children into this system. There we go. Hmm. I think that's maybe quite noble, but it's quite harsh to take, or, take that on because you're fighting something that is much, much, much bigger than you. And it's by, as you said, it's by design. Do you know what I mean? So how do you fight something that is, is, is designed to act this way and it's successful, right? So yeah. uh, I, 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 I don't know about that. I think poverty's got a lot to do with it. Do you know what I mean? I think that's probably what all of these people usually have in common. You kind of see this, not 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 all the time, but during the time that happens in certain areas where there's, you know, low-income families, that sort of thing and everything like that. Um, but then also racism, do you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, and like Auntie Flower said, it's like these kids are on remand. Can't really say they've done anything yet. They could have just been there in the area, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Got nothing to do with anything. Could, do you know what I mean? They could just know someone. There's so many guys uh, and girls that get done by association. They just knew of someone or knew someone who was in the area at one point in time and then they're arrested, they're on remand, like, it's ridiculous. So it's just, ultimately, it's by design. So I, I just, I, I think the blame is just racism. It's white supremacy, as far as I'm concerned, and that whole system to kind of keep the poor poor and the rich rich. And also as well, I, and, and kind of to link to the previous conversation, even with black officers, internalised racism is, is a very, very real thing. I can't trust anyone in those systems to to put us first. The system itself is broken and no one cares. No one in power cares enough to change it. That's what I'll say about that. 
I understand the parent thing because I think from a perspective, you don't just have to be a parent if you're in, if you look after anyone or you have authority over anyone in your family or whatever. But as a parent, the things that I had a daughter, so a, a road life, though it does come to girls, it wasn't something I was primarily concerned about. But the girls that were associated in her circle in, and in growing up in schools and the racism in schools, as it were, it's you do then look at what parent other parents are doing, especially when your child or your niece or your nephew or your person is affected by other kids' behaviour, then you are looking at the parents like, what the hell are the parents doing? Because you know what's odds are stacked against us, against our children, but yet you're not doing the most to make sure your child is not inflicting their, your, their issues on another person's child that's trying to do good. So there is an element of, yeah, some parents aren't doing the most. And I know, I definitely know parents who have encouraged or support their children being in this environment and in this lifestyle, because maybe they come from it. Um, but then at the top of all of that is poverty and, and, and social injustice and um, systemic racism. So this is all a vicious circle. So how do you, how do you criticize a parent that's only knows that lifestyle because poverty has put them in that situation where they've adopted that lifestyle. And then obviously, and if they don't have the tools or the education, because the, assistant, the education system's racist, to then teach their child to be different, then how do you really criticize them? And then you go into the system, these kids are on reminder, and it is that, that they, they lump all these numbers together when they do this research. They don't separate who's actually done a crime that's actually viable while they're on remand and who's actually just been swept up in the net, joint enterprise, all those type of things. And then you get to the point where I was saying that my family member who's working in the prisons or, so um, Felton, for those who don't know, is a youth detention center, the youth prison. So these are, this is where you're supposed to catch them if they've done something bad and rehabilitate them. However, when you've got, how many years ago was it now that they took away books that you, they made it kind of, you can't send books into prisons anymore and stuff like that. I remember that was a thing. I, I don't know where it is at now, but I remember that was a thing that, that came up that you couldn't send books or, and they were shutting all the libraries and stuff like that in prison, in a prison where someone can open their mind, have their peace and quiet, not be here, there and everywhere and succumb to the pressures of being on the road. They're in prison. This is where you're supposed to rehabilitate them. My um, family member had programs set out, did artwork, I think it was artwork and stuff like that. And she's like, some of the boys were so enthusiastic because someone's actually finally paying them attention. Someone's giving them a chance to be kids because most of them are young, right? Given, you know, when you're out there on the road, you have to be man, you have to manage an adult. Yeah. You don't have a chance to just be a child or just live in the moment and be free as a black, black children are forced to grow up so quickly, so, so quickly. So when you're in this space where they're getting all this attention and then you remove it from them and then you've got the, and then this is where black people that go in with good intentions come out damaged. And come out sad and like fuck this i'm not working in system too much to fix because i can't do it on my own then they go off and then you lose a good person that these people need as a representative and a vision someone to aspire to it's just it frustrates me because that's my one that's been my biggest thing about prison rehabilitation because it's just too it's a bit of a tangent because it's not about remand and all that type of stuff you're trying to catch them before they even get to that space but then the whole system is broken you have to blame the system but in a, maybe in an immediacy on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah, you look to the parents and like, what the fuck are you doing? What the what fuck? If, what if they don't have, what, like a lot of parents out there, they don't, they're overwhelmed, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? They don't have enough money, do you know what I mean? They might have more than one child, yeah. like, they might not have like fee support and stuff. Yeah. There's, there's, there's limitations to what, what you can, can do if the government is not supporting you. Do you I know what I mean? Like, and the thing is, there's not even like, after school clubs anymore. Yeah. There's not even like 
There's not systems to blame. It's definitely the system to blame, but you do in the immediacy because all of us, I know, are whether your parents, aunties, responsible or are the sensible. <laughs> I, I'm trying to find my words. The the, the person that your younger people look up to, right? So, and you know what you do and what you'd sacrifice to make sure these kids stay on the, and with the minimum resources that are out there. So I'm, I am being very harsh because I definitely get it, but there you are- You can't, yeah, but you can't stop, yeah? If like your son or your daughter, your nephew, whatever, is walking home and a police officer on the beat is like, I need to make an arrest yeah, guy, yeah, I'm sure. gonna target them. There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. There's yeah, nothing you can do. Yeah. You can't stop police officers stopping your man or pulling them over or driving home. You can't stop that. Yeah, for sure. That's got nothing right. to do with your upbringing. Do you know what I mean? The influences in your yeah. life. That's, yeah. that's outside of us. We can't inter... That's the thing. That's why I just think it's like, it's a very... That's a lot. You're taking on a lot. Yeah. Because these are things that are external to us. Not mm -hmm. only that, you do have those external influences like said but you've got to think about some of the gang culture as well and i say gang loosely because yeah. i hate the gang as well but it's you've got to think about what, what happens so you've got like a lot of these parents they are on the lower income they are working multiple jobs they don't spend much time with their children they tr you know it's very difficult they don't necessarily have high education and i'm generalizing here but there are a lot of people in those environments and then you've got these kids who want to be like other kids and it might start off very slowly. It might start off with them just hanging out with somebody. And then someone says, would you do this for me? Or would you just hold that for me? And then before they know it, they're in a situation. Once they're in that situation, it's very difficult for them to come out of that situation because they are a child in an adult's world. And yeah. that adult will manipulate them mm. because that's what happens. They manipulate them. And as a parent, you might not necessarily know that. Your kid might come home at the same times, but you might not necessarily, it might take you a while before you understand what is going on with your child. And you can't always be blamed for that. By the time you catch that, you might be too late. Your kid might be involved in something that is out of your control. So there's lots of things. And back to what you were saying about people being on remand for joint, with joint enterprise and all of that kind of stuff. But I, I think it's, it doesn't matter if, they did it or they didn't do it because no, exactly. that's, not these that's not what these figures show. Exactly. It doesn't say, oh, this person got swept up with Tom, Dick and mm -hmm. Harry. It just shows these black boys are on remand or black girls are on remand. That's what it's showing. And it, it's it's not going into the final de finer detail of how they got there. You know? Yeah, exactly. Again, I know people. I've grown up with people. I have people in, I ha I've had and have family members who've got into situations that isn't necessarily necessarily something that their parents could controlled or, them or or those around us could have we we pass on our knowledge as much as we can and we hope that it's sinking in but there are a lot of outside influences and all it would take is for someone to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and then they get nicked yeah i think look at the end of the day we're all there, there are not enough stats or research as to who what which who's you know what i mean it's hard a lot of, that's why i think i go back to the fact that the whole system is against yeah. us we can't by and I'm, I repeat myself, but it is, you can't, there's no, we don't know how many parents versus how many parents, we don't know all this, we don't know all the stats and we get caught up in these generalized numbers. And as you said, like as we were saying, that 
these these remand numbers aren't broken down into categories of who's done what, who's actually guilty, who's not, and all this type of stuff. Because we know that they just sweep our soul up. And it, the schools are a lot have a lot to do with it as well. A lot yeah, to there do. are lots of like, yeah, definitely. That's the whole thing that I'm saying. It's like once you have an insight into how the system is working and how it sweeps up your young people and gets them into a culture that seems acceptable to them and gets them in it. I think as a parent, then it becomes your responsibility to, because obviously every every child, they have their own systems of agency, but as the parent overseeing it, once you know how the system works, it becomes your responsibility to make sure that that child doesn't get swept in it. That's why I'm saying the buck stops with a parent. But that's only when the parent can see it, because as my family, I heard of county lines, but I'm just hearing it. I kept on seeing kids going missing all the time, but you know, there's no through line. Nobody was talking about it. It was just yeah. like, oh, my cousin's gone missing. Can you share this? I'm not seeing the pathway of how it how it actually engulfs a whole school. I, I did not see that coming until my nephew was in it. And then it's like, oh my God, this thing is so engulfing and we are sending our young people like like prawns to be placed in this whirlwind and the schools are complicit in this and we're also not even like talking about these schools where they'll they'll end up having in a year 20 kids have gone to prison but yeah. nobody's being like yeah. what's going on with this school like it's it's because everybody is complicit because they feel that no these boys were bad they need to go to prison yeah. it's about the system so again, you because... remove your kids from this system to not be in that ecosystem to but become the prawn that ends up in prison sorry to interrupt you but it's very difficult because you know when you're picking schools you try to pick the best schools but sometimes you can only pick schools in a certain catchment area yep. so i know parents that have been like fuck that shit my kid's not going to that school because i know that this is what could possibly happen and they've opted for private school but there's a lot of parents who can't afford them that's like a fucking mortgage paying yep. private schools you know but if you're if you're unfortunately in a system where you have to um send your child to a school that you know isn't necessarily good you're lost there. You're you're already on a back foot, aren't you? If, you, if it's I not, think because it's difficult, it's difficult to say I'm not going to put my child in that school and either opt for private school or opt for homeschooling. If you're on a low income, you can't necessarily take the time out to homeschool. So it's just all very difficult, and it's it's the overall system really. But there's still ways. It's true. It is a privilege to be able to homeschool or to send your child to a private school. I think if you definitely have to have your child in a state school, and especially if the school has a dubious reputation, you have to be involved in that school. So yeah. in any way that you can, or you need to forge an alliance with the other parents. You can't send your child to a school in this day and age for six to seven hours blindly yeah. and, and think that that school is going to look after your child. And when they come back home, it's the same human. Like you have to be involved. You have to be talking to the teachers as much as you can. And it does feel like you're inserting yourself. It does. Okay. Teachers can be really horrible to you when you're the one that's like, what's this homework? Da, da, da. And you will get a name. I have so many teacher friends who are like, oh, yeah, there's this mum that does. And it's like, yeah, I understand why they're on at you because you have their child for so many hours of the day, especially in secondary school 
when they're walking to school by themselves, they're coming home by themselves. You kind of got to be majorly inner as much as you can be. Or when they say it takes a village, you need your village involved. You need to then have the aunties and uncles really in there in that process of the secondary school education. I was going to say, because when, um, again, going back to when we were in a Facebook group and this topic came up, there was conversation about homeschooling and it came after like, my child, my daughter was of an age. And I really wished I had that support network when she was in high school, because I felt like I, I put her in a supposedly good high school. I mean, it was, it, reputationally, it's a good high school, but mm. the racism and the bullshit and how they handled her was ridiculous. And I didn't have, because none of my friends had daughters or kids at the same age. So I was quite alone and I'm a career mum. So there was no time. So as I think I'll show you about to say that I didn't have a support network and I didn't have, if I didn't know things at that point, I just put my child in a good school and hope for the best. But I was, the only difference was I was down the school as much as I can. And I had a name. They didn't like me. Whenever I was coming down there, they'd always get the black, the one black teacher in that school to sit in for the teacher. They thought I was about to jump over the table. I wasn't, I don't even have that personality, but yes, somehow even just me challenging their, their ways, yeah. I got a reputation. They, and then sometimes they took it out on her and sometimes she would stop telling me things. She's like, mom, if you come down, they're going to get me. And it's all that type of stuff. And so the school, the school, the system is really, really built to, whether you've got a girl or a boy and it's worse for boys because they do look at boys as animals a certain age, it turns as they say that they're in primary school, they're seen as just innocent kids. When they get to secondary school, there's that predatory, I don't know, stereotype that comes into their brain. They start looking at black children like they're just animals. I think it's earlier, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, rate for black yeah, boys probably. in um, primary schools is very, very high. Yeah. You know, so I just think like, I think, I think in theory, I, I get what you're saying and everything, but I just think the reality for most people who are in these situations is they're doing the best that they can and it's too big a problem for them to be able to solve by themselves. And because there's the way the system is, it kind of isolates people, right? Do you know what I mean? So they can't kind of band together and, and solve it and, and protect their children at the end of the day. Before we go to the comments and move on, I just want to clear up the thing I said about prisons. It was in 2014 when Chris Galing, who was the then Justice Secretary, had ordered, had imposed the ban on sending books to prisons, limiting them. And then, interestingly enough, it was overturned by Mr. Justice Collins. And it was on the back of the fact that there was a 56-year-old Barbara Gordon-Jones, you can imagine who she is and what she looks like, a 56-year-old convicted of arson who has a doctorate in English literature. The judge then acknowledged that the books that she wanted to read were not those normally required by prison, so then it was over, overturned. Okay. So imagine that. Would it have been overturned if it was a young black boy saying, look, I just want to get my education mm -hmm. on, I want more books, can you... It's just so interesting, but that actually happened in 2014, but it was overturned on the back of this woman's situation. Imagine that. Um, do, can we get the comments? Uh, maybe one or two. Koi says, the truth is that as black parents in this country, as Nana says, it's systematic. Um, so if you put your children in public education, then you have to know what that it is a possibility. When my son, as Nana mentioned, fell into this crime story, it finally took an understanding of cult mind control and psychedelics to get him out. I had to go against the law to get him out. It's controversial to say, but even after intervening, intervention sorry, by 18 black men, including two millionaires, it did not work until my son's brain changed. And then Ronald says, the system isn't broken. The system is doing exactly what it's meant to do. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and then Akoya goes on to say, the real tools to get these children out are hidden and unknown. We let them down by keeping them in the system. We let them down by letting the music into your home. We let them down by bringing them up in a racist country and we hope for the best. These children are traumatized and brainwashed. One of my son's friends has now been sectioned twice and two have been in prison. My son is the only one from his group who is out. Parents, don't put your children in school. That's the only advice I would give. And then Ronald goes on to say, uh, in the US, at least two women were arrested for lying about their addresses so that their children could go to better school, yes. Arrested and jailed for a and long jailed. time as well. And they tend to do it to the black parents a lot more, don't they? They yeah. put them in jail. Yeah, yeah they yeah. put in jail. Some of the sentence or something. In comparison yeah. to the Hollywood white women who yeah. paid off these universities yeah. and either did their time, their couple of months at home, or did a couple of months in jail. In a nice one as well. They didn't. Wow. Yeah. It's wild. Gem pop. That's wild. <laughs> That's bonkers. Okie dokie. Let's move on to Aunties Know Best. So, two aunties. One of my friends had COVID. She was made to feel really bad by our group of friends. And she's like, we're all a group of best friends, made to feel really bad. And she kind of phoned me up crying, saying she feels isolated and I was comforting her. But when I was comfort comforting her, I felt bad because I felt the same way as my friends did, but I was just comforting her. So now, because I was being so comforting, she wants to come and visit me before Christmas, but I'm scared because I don't know if she's completely healed, because I also know she was a bit reckless in how she got her COVID, and I'm not sure if she's telling 100% telling the truth that she's sat within the right type, the window of um, her having it and getting over it. And though I don't want to be insensitive or horrible to her, I'm a bit concerned about seeing her, because I don't completely trust whether she's 100% well. What should I do? I'm a little bit scared, and I don't want to upset my friend, but also she was reckless. Well, okay, it depends. If, <laughs> if you're like me, just tell them straight. Like, look, <laughs> we all know what you're like. <laughs> we all know what you're like. So just hold your corner for a little bit. Do you get me? We can FaceTime or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So we could do that. Or if you're a little bit kind of like, don't want to hurt their feelings and stuff, or they're, they're a bit fragile and stuff, you could make some excuses. If you want to be a bit dishonest and you're okay with it, you could say, so I think I've got some symptoms, by the way. Do you know what I mean? So I don't think it's a good idea for you to be around me. You could say that. Or you could say that you've got like an elderly person coming around and that you need to make sure that the area is, you know, do you know what I mean? For the next couple of days that you need to make sure that you're quarantined properly so you don't risk them. Or you could just say like, you know, you're not available. There's so many things that you could say. If you don't want to hurt their feelings that you don't mind being dishonest. But if you have integrity, you should tell the truth. Tell the truth. Is there like a stigma with somebody getting co like it's not like we're not going back to HIV days, are we? Like really, like oh my god, I can't like drink out of this cup because their mouth was on it. Like it's maybe it is that deep for some people, but this I don't know. I feel like this is really this is like horrible. Like we'll zoom with them. Like just just be kind, really. How can somebody be reckless? Like this is my thing. So that language like they were reckless and they got covid what what is being reckless and getting covid like it's airborne maybe they went I don't to know how people catch it yet it's not quite clear how people catch covid so what is being what she went to the shop or 
she went and visited somebody who then had it. Like, but as humans, we need contact. Like, I really am not for this whole, the person was reckless and then got COVID. Like, just be thankful that they didn't die and they're alive and you, they're your brethren. And even if you've got to keep two metres away from them when they come and visit you, keep two metres away. What you need to be doing is making sure that your immune system is strong. If your immune system isn't strong and you've been eating bullshit, you're being reckless. Maybe that's what you're doing, you're projecting. So really, then if you've been eating bullshit and you know your immune system is shit, tell the person that I haven't actually been looking after myself. I'm probably not the best person for you to be around because I could be harboring something. And then you had COVID, you may get it again. You don't want double COVID, do you? Like, But I do think that overall, you're a shitty friend and you should work on that. Oh, wow. Auntie Farah. <laughs> Oh, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Because the thing is, she could have gone to a rave. She could have been reckless like that. She could have just been rubbing herself against everybody and everything. Green, <laughs> <laughs> you know, could have been like that. But you're right. You know what really vexes me? Side note to this is the NHS app, and I know that's a bit controversial, but I know a lot of people whose NHS app has pinged and they've had to isolate. And originally, it was, you've got to isolate for 12 days. Two days later, basically, I know someone that got pinged and it was like, isolate for 12 days. Then it was, someone else got pinged and it was, isolate for 10 days. And then it was, isolate for six days. What, is it going to be, isolate for one day soon? <laughs> like, I don't understand it. But I think it depends on your own health. Like you said, Auntie Nana, if you're somebody who suffers from chronic asthma or something like that, then you can't afford to put yourself at risk. But if you're not, then, you know, just be nice to your friend and say, yeah, you did an idiot move, innit? Not really. What happened to you? How did you catch it? Do you know how you catch it? Because there are some people that have caught it from being reckless in the sense of the environments that they're in. We've all said here, we feel happy mixing with our families because we know that we've been careful. You know, we've not gone to raves and started rubbing ourselves up against men or women <laughs> or glass or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit of a... Depends on the scenario, the rest of the scenario for me. I didn't know that there was stigma until I've heard some people saying, yeah, she had COVID or he had, they start talking in hushed tones about people that they know that have had COVID. So <laughs> I don't know why it's got a stigma, but then also like, fuck, what am I gonna do if I get it? Am I gonna, I got COVID, I don't know if it's <laughs> happened. Yeah, I have, I realized that it's got a little bit of HIV stigma to it. That's the first I've heard of it. There's a few the, the, the people that I know that have it, they're just like, yeah, I had it, I felt fucked. Or I had it, I didn't realise I had it until I couldn't taste food. It's kind of been like that. So that's really interesting that there are some people there that feel like that. It's attached to ego or something, I don't know. And I think there is, and I don't agree that it's just, I mean, Nana, yes, Auntie Nana, project everything onto the person. <laughs> bad. Nah, uh, not a shitty friend of a like, chick or dude, you were that raving, you would. Lips like man who you know, <laughs> all that type of stuff. Don't try it because at the end of the day, there is that security when you know that people aren't just running wild in the streets and just being purposely among people. I think it's that. I mean, you don't know where you how to catch. You don't know how you catch and all that type of stuff. So in regards to a friend giving a friend advice, I'd just say yeah, be honest and say look, I love you to death, giving you all the comfort in the world, but I just I'm sh I'm shit fucking scared and I'm not sure. And if, it, if you and if it, you know it's about the nature of you lost friendship, and if you know that this friend is the reckless friend and is prone to be doing the reckless lying, everyone's got that rowdy friend, didn't it? That reckless friend. So if you know that's how they are, that friend also 
is looking a little bit over sympathy because they know probably they feel guilty, feel sorry for themselves because they went and did his madness and got it. And then on top of that, they're looking extra sympathy because they're not used to people feeling like feeling like especially their social butterfly. There needs to be certain retention potentially. Then you know you think it's like listen, you need to hug, you need to shush, take your knocks, stay isolated, and then come back in the fold. We'll be cool. Two weeks time, three weeks chill out stuff like that but yeah and also you can be like yeah i haven't been looking after myself so it's all my fault why you i'm the bad person yeah go when on when we got back from santorini and we had to self-isolate not because we were ill but just because that was the rule that was set <laughs> one of my brothers was like later i'll see you at christmas i was like raw he's like i'm not coming to you you're 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 you've got a disease i'm not coming to you <laughs> It's like, bruv, I've been forced to do this. I'm not sick. It's fine. But yeah, I suppose there are some people out there that take it very, very seriously, the isolation bit. It's the unknown. It is. Don't know how it's going to affect you if you get it, I suppose. Okay, cool. Let's move on to for the culture. For the culture. For the culture. Is that the thing? <laughs> we did have a bunch of things. We do need an intro. We, um, we have a bunch of things on the menu, but we will get into them. The, the quick thing, I just feel like I just need to acknowledge that T.I. is back in the bad books again because he, do you know, what? actually, when I watched, I did watch the show, he's speaking to 21 Savage on his Expeditiously um, podcast video sh um, show. And he was talking about the, you know, being in his daughter's life will keep her off the pole, keep her off being, keep her away from being a thought. And he's more on his daughter than he is his sons. It wasn't as bad as when I when I as the headliners when I watched mm. it, but it was still like, oh Ti. I mean, yes, in broad strokes, if your daddy's in your life, if he's a good dad, pays attention, maybe you won't be a stripper, or maybe you've always admired strippers and want to be a stripper, and your dad's the best dad in the world. So, what's the gauge here? So, I mean, I don't know. Quick round table. Do you think? that having extra father attention will keep a girl off the pole and stop being a thought, prevent them from being thottish. And I hate thought as well. Who's he said thought prevention classes or something like that, didn't he? Yeah. Um, whose daughter, what's his name? Uh, the guy from, what's Neo in again? My brain has gone blank. The what, oh, the Matrix? Okay, thank you so much. My brain just went completely blank. So Lawrence Fishburne's daughter, is a porn star and she wasn't a porn star at first she was just like releasing a couple videos but then she became a porn star so him having input him and her mother having input in her life didn't stop her from doing whatever the fuck she wanted to do but i think she now they don't chat because of it and he told her that she's you know um letting the sign down basically but i think if you're in a family and you're a woman even if you've got brothers, your brothers will tell you, don't be, you know, they won't say those words, don't be a whore, but you know, you, you know that your brothers are going to be a little bit more on your case than they would each other in certain scenarios. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they were just basically saying that if I go somewhere and if my sister goes somewhere and my friends see her, my friends will say to her, you know, I'm here in it. And they'll watch out to see what she does and stop anything or, or block, like cock block, basically, if they think that someone wants to chat to her because they don't want anything, you know, bad to happen. So there is that thing of girls always get this reputation of um, they even need to be protected or if they go and fuck man and just want to enjoy sex, they're a hoe. It's, you know, it's that fucking stereotype, isn't it? That contradiction. But T.I., 
I think this will move on to another for the culture piece. My uh, 2112 superpowers were activated because I woke up on Saturday morning and for some reason, or yesterday morning, and I, for some reason, and I, I just said, he came up on my feed on Instagram and I deleted him. I was like, mm. I'm not following him anymore. And then later on, you guys were like, oh, look at this. And I was like, you see, my superpowers kicked in for <laughs> no dumb arsedness. Exactly. Auntie, um, Nana, do you have anything to say to that? I, I don't have anything on TI. He just says things for like headlines. He's just become media fodder. But I, I also understand what he's saying and round of applause for him for being in his children's life. Like, you know, well done, TI, for doing what you're millions of fathers do around the world and what you're supposed to do, yeah, is be in your, your child's life. So, yeah, well done. That's all I have to say about TI. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's patriarchy, isn't it? That's basically what this is. All that does is increase the shame within women. That's all you're doing. All you're doing by saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't sleep with so many people or you shouldn't act like this or if I'm around, don't do this. All you're doing is increasing shame. That's that's the only thing that you're doing. You're not preventing anything. He's just such a disappointment. I just wonder, like, the comparison. Could you imagine how, you know, Obama talks to his daughter do you know what I mean about these things in comparison? Do you think he has fought prevention <laughs> talks with Michelle? I don't fucking think so. Like, T.I. is, he, he's actually doing so much damage, it's just unbelievable. He's actually just reinforcing and up, upholding this patriarch, patriarchal system. That's all he's doing, really and truly, in his bubble, I guess. So he's speaking in his terms. But he kind of gives a lot of men who are also in those kind of bubbles or relate to that, and women too, it gives it empowers them to talk like this and to have these opinions and views when actually she's just minding her frigging business. She ain't do this is all his stuff. Yes. This is all his stuff. Do you know what I mean? And he just made it about her. And it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Stop talking about your daughter. Do you think Jay Z's gonna have these conversations with Blue Ivy? He's just such an attention seeker. Yeah. And the same man who a couple of weeks ago was talking about women want their men to have diff more women. And can I say, there was a, I think Snoop was recently on a podcast, I can't remember with who or with where he was talking, and he was saying that it's a, sh he was talking about Wet Ass Pussy, the song, saying that it's a shame that women feel the need to talk like this. Snoop, what? <laughs> <laughs> Snoop doggy doggy dog. Snoop. Oh my God. No fun. Is the shame. Snoop. He had to said, No, I wasn't, but whatever. Don't try it, Snoop. I guess I understand when you grow old and you realize, but what 21 Savage and TI both failed to mention was sons in the catch. Like, if you ask, because they both mentioned the talk about, yeah, we know what we're like as men. And it's so accepted. They we know what we're like as men, so we're on our daughters more and that type of thing. But then why aren't you on your sons? Because you but even yeah, that's exactly be on yourselves as men and on your sons because you know what men what you do as men so then let's raise your sons and leave the girls alone because then women won't be running to all, and girls won't be running to all these male thoughts it was all about you know keep i don't know it is a patriarchy and it's that it's, it's a bit dodgy as well really fucking dodgy it is. It's, no, it's just weird to over overly sexualizing your daughter before she's yeah. even off it's so yeah. weird 
like in a history of it. It's just like, what's wrong with you? Why is your why is your identity wrapped up in the sexuality of mm -hmm. your child? Of your daughter. So yeah. Weird. I just think that's the same thing. It is. Yeah. It really is. And that thing, like, you love strippers, but you hate them so much. And it goes back to how much you hate women, really, then, or mm -hmm. something. Because why? Because you big them up, call them bitches, call them thots, big them up, cheat on your woman with them. Mm. It's just a madness. Anyway. Dude is scared. Like, dude, dude is scared. Uh, and apparently, he's still doing stuff with Instagram models anyway. Like, that keeps on coming out. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently, allegedly, all, allegedly. all, all of the rumours. <laughs> Let's get some comments, because this is popping off before we move on to the next one. Okay, so Ray says, sexy BS also shows the type of son he would be raising in that statement alone, and says, exactly, Auntie Charlotte. Antoinette says, I hope T.I. stacking the cash with therapy she may need further down the line. The harm he is laying down now will manifest later sadly but hopefully she'll have the strength to understand that this is not about her it's all on him Definitely. and ray goes on to say pure projecting the hypocrisy and also says the weight always falls on the woman's shoulders roland says ti is afraid of karma he doesn't want her to be like the women that he has used and abused and then antoinette says would ti feel okay if when his daughter is married and comes home from a night out, her husband checks her body in case she had sex with herself. Sorry, sorry, that's not funny. <laughs> what are you showing her? <laughs> and that's in reference to when he got her hymen checked. Like, what the yeah. fuck is this guy? And yeah. it is that, because it is that. Um, and he's gonna freaking bit her. Like, what right. the fuck, are we in the 19, the 1500s? Yeah. Is this still happening? Like, seriously, are you, are you, are you kind of marrying her off to like a company or something? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're building an alliance with a rich uh, com uh, uh, family. No, you're not. You're just ridiculous. Like, and this is, and this is what, um, this does lead to um, women being abused because you've got this kind of control thing that your dad's instilling you and this kind of self issues that you, they, they, they put in you. And women can get into um, abusive relationships. So what, and then Antoinette is saying is you're allowing for men to do, like your husband's like, hey, where have you been? What are you doing? Do, 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 let yeah. me check you. Well, that type of shit, because you think it's normal, because like, it's been normalized. My dad checked yeah. me, so my husband can check me. Are you fucking mad? Anyway, anyway. I think we should say adios to T.I. And, and <laughs> <laughs> um, Antoinette, give us your headline as you were going to talk about it in the For The Culture moment. I didn't really have a, a great one. So it's basically ADOS were at it. And just for anybody that doesn't know what ADOS is, this is a new movement, kind of like maybe about 18 months old. Um, they are the American descendants of slavery. So these are, I guess, maybe the people formerly known as African Americans. <laughs> like some of them have decided. Some, to, them. some of them have decided to change, and they're now going by Ados as what they would be calling themselves. And there was a storm on Clubhouse due to Daniel Kaluuya playing Fred Hampton in his upcoming biopic, and literally there were so many Ados people who were really up in arms about it and just spewing hate on black British people, saying that, um, you know, black British actors are going over there and taking all their jobs and that we need them out. <laughs> like literally the shitstorm that they were causing was, it was frankly disgusting for a member of di diaspora to have so many people who 
are speaking about like the black experience like it's some kind of American thing and that we haven't added to culture in our own way but yeah so really it's just what do you guys think about the ADOS movement do they have any legitimacy and are they needed in the 21st century? ADOS their core points about getting reparations for uh, uh, Americans black Americans who have you know a descent of slaves there's a point to what they're saying. And there's a point to how the systemic racism in America pits immigrant blacks against indigenous blacks in America because they see them as more educated, well-behaved than their own blacks as they do to us over here. They treat anything that's from over here. It's, it's just what it is. It, somehow the naturalized blacks in countries, the white people don't respect them, but they might just see favor of anyone that's come from somewhere else for some reason. So their initial core arguments for being recognized and acknowledged and getting the reparations, if they ever will get reparations, they deserve before any immigrant makes sense. However, their leader, Ms. Yvette Brown, <laughs> is a witch. I, she's a witch and she's spewing xenophobic hate. And she, instead of sticking to the points, she's lumping all this thing and leveraging accusations like in this movie, in this particular conversation about Judas and the Black Messiah, which is the film about Fred Hampton, the young Chicago leader of the Black Panthers, who was murdered at 21 by the FBI. This whole film that's been made by Black African-Americans and just happens to star Daniel Kaluuya in this role and he kills the role. She's now like saying that, you know, Daniel as a Black Brit went out and courted the roles. He's stealing roles from African-American or Black Americans. He, and I mean, as an actor, you're supposed to do that. You're so, you do have to look for roles. You, roles don't just come to you. It's not like, yes, he's A-list. So yes, he's a big time Oscar nominated actor now. He's a brilliant actor. However, you still have to job for your jobs and you still have to do what everyone should do, strategize, have meetings and talk about roles and see if you can get on a role. Why should he not? But she positioned it as, and the other people supporting her positioned it as, she, he's stealing roles from African-Americans. The adults movement, like from how, how I heard about it how many years ago, it's just horrible, divisive. It's doing the work for the races that want us out and want us to be infighting. It happened at this, the moment when we're all kind of cross-pollinating as black people. African -Amer Black Americans are starting to understand that there's more to the um, black situation than just their situation. We were starting to relate and bond. Thank you, Top Boy. Thank you, Grime, for crossing, mm -hmm. helping us cross over. And we were all getting along. And all of a sudden, the Ados movement drops. And it's led by a woman who has Jewish and African-American heritage. I don't like the Ados movement. And I feel disappointed that it's taking so much weight and it's taking up, picking up storm. And I think the more that it's being spoken about, it's spilling out, it's spreading. And I don't know to what end it's going to be. It, I think it's very orchestrated. I think someone's behind it. And um, I'm really, really saddened by it because I think this is not the time. Uh, Auntie Shade. Actually, when you were speaking then, it made me think of, you know, back in the days when we, in the UK, we used to have like the whole African versus Caribbean yeah. thing. And I think that was mainly because Af uh, Caribbeans were in the UK first. So having a, like a new group of blacks come in there was division created there but obviously like a couple generations now or even one generation we're all good <laughs> it seems we're blending together nicely 
I just think like what I just don't like is the discrimination aspect of it. I get the points. I get like Auntie AK was saying that reparations, of course, absolutely have your group join together, empower each other. Of course, I would never be for someone saying I couldn't be part of Nigerians or us or something like that. That that's that's my heritage. That's who I am. I want to band together with people who are just like me. I've got no issue with that. What I just don't like is the discrimination against others. So as I was saying, it's like kind of like a little bit of a bad analogy, but this is the only thing I can really think of. What it's like to me is like if you have a black man who dates white women that shits on black women. Like you can like what you want to like, you can talk about what you want to do and everything like that, but you don't have to shit on other people in order to do it. And that's what I just don't like. Fight for your cause, but really and truly, it's better if we're unified and we're doing it together, exactly. you know what I mean? And you don't alienate people and push away, as they put it, like your allies. Don't disengage us. We're ones that will help you on a global level. Imagine that kind of power. I think they're thinking very smallly in, in that sense. So I think like they could do much better. It's just crabs in a barrel mentality at the moment. But I do get it though. I do understand the psychology over this thing is ours. We were here first. We need to get repaid for our thing. I get that. And not necessarily like, I think what the fear is around diluting the message of what they want to push. I do understand the psychology, but I don't agree with it. I just don't agree with the discrimination of others. Firstly, what I will say is I do think if they focused on their main points and people would feel a lot easier about it, but they don't. They go off into this diversive thing. It's all about this divide and conquer. Some of the points that they made in the group was that, you know, only the Americans can talk about the black experience. They talked about slavery in other places not being as bad as in America. They mentioned Jamaica a lot as though Jamaica was the only country in the West Indies, in the, in the Caribbean. They didn't mention anything else, you know, because no one else was slaves anywhere else. They failed to understand what colonialism had done to Africa as a continent. They failed to understand that people had been struggling for freedom across the globe. They failed to understand any of that. They talked about Malcolm X. They dismissed the fact that his mother was Grenadian. So his dad was American, but on his mother's side, he was first generation American. And they dismissed that and said, oh, it's, it's you know, we shouldn't be talking about his mother, but that's because they wanted to drive forward their point. But then in the next breath, they're shitting on people who may be first generation Americans because their parents have emigrated over there. And they're saying that they shouldn't be entitled to the same things as they are African descendants of slaves, even though like Auntie AK said, one of their leaders isn't a fully fledged African descendant of slavery, if you want to get technical, which she doesn't really want to get technical about. Yeah. Um, the thing that makes me most annoyed is that their point loses all power because of the way that they're spreading it. You know, they're saying that uh, we're going over there and they're stealing their jobs and they don't ship anyone else out. It's because Americans, some a lot of Americans don't necessarily travel. Because America is so vast and you can go from it being excruciatingly hot on one side of the place they're like freezing cold and you can go skiing and all that sort of stuff a lot of americans just stick to america a lot of them don't necessarily have passports i am generalizing here but there are a lot of black americans who don't necessarily know much about their country you know their culture external of america and that is again down to colonialism because 
if you divide and conquer, what's the best thing to do? Is And it goes back to what you said, Auntie Sade, about the um, Africans versus Caribbeans in England back in the day. That was because we didn't really understand each other's cultures. And in the West Indies, in the Caribbean, we were told as slaves that you don't want to go back to Africa. Africa's not a nice place. That's what we were fed. That's what the Americans were fed as well. So if you don't have the knowledge and you don't interact with people, you don't learn. And if you don't travel, your eyes are not opened and you don't experience things for yourself. It's much like people being told that if you go to Jamaica, you're going to be shot as soon as you get off the plane. If you don't travel and you don't speak to people, you don't understand these things. And I think that they just showed a lack of understanding about anybody other than themselves. And their points just lost all validity because it was just wrapped around in racism and I say racism because you know they were very much about for us not anyone else yeah no definitely all of those points it was just disappointing like staying in the room longer and then when 19 keys started speaking about unity and the building of a larger nation outside of what you can get in terms of reparations and actually if you formed an alliance with the African diaspora we'd be able to do for ourselves and then you don't even have to go to this racist government trying to get reparations because you could build for self if you actually if we unite and then loads of people started leaving the group and it's just annoying that each time when it feels like something is gaining momentum in terms of unity, a new group pops up that's like, no, 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 no. It's just about us. It's just for self. And people who are feeling poor and impoverished and downbeat and oppressed join to that that kind of frequency and they jump on that. They're like, yeah, this could be my, my way out. And it's like, no, the only ways out are in uniting. It's being collectively coming into a one. It's not being separate. The Yvette woman being so vocal and literally being so ignorant and you're not even adults yourself is indicative of the foolishness of people just following folks because they can talk the loudest. That was the takeaway. Just like I, I, I hope it doesn't gain too much momentum. But I do feel that lots of folks are really caught up in the um, oppression Olympics and they want to they wanna win. <laughs> they want to be like the champions of the overall oppressed people of the world. And so, it, you know, I, I don't think ADOS is going to go anywhere. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a lot of hyperbole. And it's, I think it's a tipping point thing where either people, someone, it will affect, as you said, enough of the people who are impoverished or really feel like they're not getting ahead. It's just literally what they do with immigrant stories over here. They play immigrants off the whites and then just poor whites think that their whole world's crumbling because all the immigrants are taking the jobs when it's just not true. One thing I noticed is that I think there's also a generational thing that's happening in these debates. So, because I mean, there's young people in chairing these debates, having these debates. And I did notice that young black Brits in this discussion don't give a fuck about Americans. And I think African-Americans have to be, when I say that, I, I, I'll clarify what I mean. Young black Brits who have had the luxury of having British culture be at the forefront and not have to have, to not suffer, because I definitely enjoyed African-American import culture. Because we had, I grew up with an African-American imported culture because there was nothing, I mean, there was a few things that we had, Our like, we have no matter what, you can't get away from the culture that we build over here naturally. But generally everything was African-American influenced. From our, even our rappers were rapping with American accents in the time when I was listening to hip hop. Um, British rappers were rapping with American accents to 
get ahead because they weren't getting any play they repped in British. Where look at it now, you, you don't even you don't even need to. You can be more more cockney, more road than possible just to be successful. So I think what African Americans or Black Americans don't understand is how much actually across the world Black pe people have actually have admired them or been influenced by them and respect them. So I've not been in a conversation where people are really dissing African Americans in a way that they diss us for this for, from out of nowhere. And but I do think the new younger generations of Brits that I've seen on social media, the way they're cussing, they're like, because they haven't had that, they haven't had that influence. So they're like, who are these Donnies talking to us like this? What are you why are you dissing us? Our actors are bad. And and I saw someone just list all the British black actors that are killing it. They're killing it. We're better than you. And this is what potentially could make it get out of hand because you've got a younger generation that don't know the history and don't have the respect that maybe someone my generation has for African-Americans because of how it influenced who I am. So there's, that's the part that can instigate more wars because, or more, I'm going to say war. Yeah, but you can't, you can't blame them though. They're being privy to conversations exactly. that we're not getting disrespected. Exactly. So they're holding up for themselves. And I just exactly. think that more power to them actually and, exactly. and educate them a bit. Look at all the Caribbeans that are in, in America and their contributions to the culture historically as well. Like somehow that is just constantly put to the side. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Marcus Garvey is not American. No, exactly. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it just goes on and all these popular people that people love, they're from the diaspora. Like, look at Jamaican culture, how it's just taken over the world. Like, you cannot deny these things. I think, unfortunately, and we have this problem too. Let me caveat that. The UK has this problem too. Yeah. British people have this problem too, is that we tend to centre the world around us. That's what we tend to do. And I think Americans tend to center the world around them. And actually from outside that, we don't view it that way. And we haven't viewed it that way from a very long time. And that's what I think Clubhouse has probably been the first app in a long time that has been able to bring these worlds together so closely yeah. and people to have these kind of conversations like never before. I don't think you would really get this kind of thing going before. So I don't know whether it's their algorithm or how it kind of works, but the interest that and the people that you kind of like are in rooms with, it's, it's very interesting. You couldn't necessarily find this on Instagram like this. Maybe Twitter, but- It has been a, that's where I first, sorry, Nana, you did say, sorry, Nana, you did say something and I, I cut you off as well. Um, there, the, the conversation has been had on Twitter, but in, as you're saying in Clubhouse, it, you don't get to hear people Actually, I, I, I think it's like in, on Twitter, it's kind of like the, the Twitterati, not just everyday people getting involved in a conversation like this. Actually having a soliloquy where you can have all of your points down as you're speaking and then somebody reply to you in real time and that builds a different type of conversation. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing where it was very interesting on Clubhouse hearing adults members coming in and saying what their points are like you know speaking for like three minutes getting it all out and then you hearing a black British person counter that or another uh, African-American coming in and being like this is why your movement won't take off because we don't want this separatism and if you want to fight for reparations here fight for it but that doesn't mean that our culture cannot be shared or even just speaking on the film industry and people are asking, are any of you filmmakers? And none of them are. So it's like, do you actually know how you find actors? 
Do you do you know what talent is? Like what's out there, how you spot them? Like it really, it really doesn't have too much to do with where they come from. You just want the talent. It's it was very interesting having that real-time discussion taking place for hours. One room, I jumped back in in the morning and they were like they'd been talking for 12 hours. Wow. Various people were taken over as a moderator, and it was like, wow, this is nuts. I mean, data point of view for Clubhouse to have all of those different conversations as your data sources is really interesting to me. As like, as I'm getting into data, I am like, that's really interesting to find out what humans are talking about. Let's get some comments. Ronald says most Black Americans have never heard of Ados. Say again. I said, I hope so. <laughs> Antoinette said, yes, Auntie Farah, I think it's about lack of understanding and what you have been fed as information about Africa. Sonia says, I remember when Chris Rock first came over to do his shows here, as in the UK, he said he had no idea there was such a large black community in the UK. Ronald also says, neither Obama or Kamala Harris could belong to Ados. Very true. Antoinette says, I remember the first time I travelled to Africa, Ghana, Nigeria. I was about 10 years old. I remember asking my mum if Gran lived in a mud hut. She looked at me and said, do you want to live in a mud hut? <laughs> my only images of Africa had been negative from the TV, which differed so much from the reality for me. It was eye-opening. And Victoria says, devil's advocate, there is some truth to the fact that without African-American movies the value of the black audience would not be known to hollywood so i get on one level why black famous actors who built this subsector are still black famous whilst the value they accumulated benefits black british actors that go to america for a job and don't necessarily invest in the infrastructure here so i get that and i think that's because but that's where the argument is leveraged at the wrong people. It's not, Hollywood is racist as well. And this argument that you're, that the ADOS are leveraging, especially in, in especially in this conversation in Clubhouse, you get to see who doesn't know anything about the film industry and how it works either. You're commenting on something and you're like, exactly that challenging Daniel for going to dinner to having a business lunch. That's basically what it is, actors. And that's across Hollywood, that's what you do. You have business lunches. You have business lunches in any industry. That's what you do. So. They're leveraging their arguments at the pawns because every black person who works under this systemic rule is a pawn in this situation. So all actors, I literally have just spoken to um, London Hughes, who's a comedian over here, jobbing for 11 years. In that interview, she was like, I had to go to America and it's only going to America and having in, um, conversations with Will Packer and Kevin Hart that I've got a special and I've got a movie coming out. I've been knocking on doors in the UK for how long? And whether you like her style or not, her special is on Netflix now. She's professional and it's a matter if you like a comedy or not but she's extremely professional and very talented but yeah, like yesterday. yeah exactly so the same thing. this is the wrong the, the argument that ados is leveraging at other black people is ridiculous because all of us are trying to escape supremacy all of us are trying to get our rights in place and installed and get just live freely and comfortably we're fighting a system that's against us so all this infighting and it is about that yes African-American, that's why I'm saying that it's generational, that there's a generation of black people across the globe that absolutely respect and admire what African-Americans have done. That's why it's even more of a disappointment to have this argument, at, like to see this argument happening now. Because like, you don't know how much you lot of, we do acknowledge that, but the younger generations who don't know that and haven't, especially black Brits who haven't had to deal with that, 
they've got their own culture. They're not going to take you lot cussing them and saying all this stuff about them because they don't they don't need you the way we needed you. I I definitely need, thank God for the American culture, that um, African American culture that came through um, our TV and our our radio because we didn't have nothing over here, but now we do. This argument doesn't wait, doesn't carry weight at this very point. It doesn't carry it, it, it's it's a two way street because they're making a product that actually did really well in Europe, which mm -hmm. allowed for more products to be made. So right. really, if they weren't being sold over here and wasn't actually like becoming a big of a cultural phenomenon, it may not have carried on in America as well. If you can export a product, it has more value. So there does need to be a two-way a two street of actually thank you also for thoroughly enjoying our products and That's consuming it wholesale from us because we also weren't putting anything else out. The, the, it hasn't gone both ways. And so it is like actually you you consumed our, our, our products and we did really well from it. So on the other side, it would make sense that our, our industry wasn't just built on our own backs. There was other people who consumed it that allow it to grow. And now they're coming over and are now acting in our shows. And it's like, absolutely like it is it's how it grows it's organic it's like we just need to be really thinking about growing our own industries having a nollywood it's about everybody together creating something it doesn't need to be like it, the only things that are created are being created by ados people because we're the ones here it's like that's not how it works because if we weren't consuming it you may not have had an industry or a place where Hollywood is like, actually, this is sellable. It's not a one-way street. It's not all thanks to you. We were involved in it as well. Yeah, and I think I think that needs to be. That's where the education needs to come in because there's a lot of like, you lot just are. You stole our culture. You want to be us. It wasn't that. And is it? There's no, 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 no. Like, I just want to say, we bought it at a premium as well. That, exactly. those, those music and stuff, they hiked up those prices when exactly. it's necessary. And we got it delayed as well, kind of thing. And I know certain artists, for sure, they only tour in the UK or Europe. And they're not big in their areas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You're keeping them alive. We're paying their bills. Exactly. I was also going to say two other things that I think, like, first of all, like, why I don't think that anyone really kind of gets with the UK experience is that we have class as a barrier as well, a barrier to entry, which you don't have so much in countries like the US. Literally, the whole thing is like, you work hard enough, you make enough money, you can make it. Whereas we, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can still be blocked out because of your class. And then in the grand scheme of things, I think it just shows the maturity of the industry, right? It shows the maturity. Like when you get to that level, the competition is global. That's just how it is. If you look at the top of any industry across the sector, the competition becomes global. You couldn't look at Formula One, like where it started and just think, oh, it's only gonna be in that country or people from that country. It doesn't work like that. You're competing with from people from all around the world. Now, if you're considered to be one of those best, then you should be happy with that. I, I just think people are thinking too small. You're not just in this area, you're part of a huge, huge community outside the country that you're in. But also there's another thing, and again, back on the conversation I had with London, she was saying that black rich, when they go to America, they have to play Americans. So how about now there's this cross, uh, the, the way to cross pollinate the culture or cross whatever, link the culture is have black British people be British in American content and just understand that relationship, explore those yeah. stories. Then people won't feel so threatened. Because I do understand, I'm not gonna lie and pretend that I, I do understand if you're icons and then I get it, but it's just the way that it's being, 
The thing is, they're talking about, you know, they want their heroes to be paid by them, but that isn't necessarily always the case for heroes outside of America. They haven't always been played by, you know, Africans or Caribbeans. It's, it's not necessarily has been his, the history. So exactly. no one wanted to address that. And, yeah. you know, I, I do think there is some sort of onus on the British industry as well and the lack of the lack of things that are out there and why people have to go to America for roles. It's interesting now that with small acts, a lot of people are seeing that shit, they had problems over there too. It wasn't all sipping tea with the Queen and eating scones. So but even white people go to America. It's it's like, yeah. It's, yeah, they ain't got a problem with that, have they? Rich people go, Australians go. But it's, but it's, it's kind of said in a different way. It's more done tongue in cheek because I remember there's time where it's like, oh, the Brits are coming. Do you know what I mean? They're yeah. coming to take over Hollywood and stuff like that. But it's not, as long as they're eating, they don't care. As long as the production house is eating, they actually don't care. And I think that that is part of the problem. That money that those studios own, it's not trickling down the way it should. So people do feel hard done by it because they're not getting a good piece of the pie. I think everyone, or most people have watched now the new Coming to America trailer. There's a lot of black Americans playing <laughs> in Africa. I, I think Michael Blackson's in it and I'm trying to think, I'm not sure who Michael else. Michael Blackson. I know, I know. Michael Blackson's in it and I don't know who else is. Who's I'm talking about Africans. Oh, Africans. Africans. Yeah. Oh. They're going to be talking about this, playing people exactly. from where they're supposed to be from. And if anyone watched, I can't remember, that I was trying to Google the name of the film quickly because we've got to move on. But Will Smith, when he, God bless him, but playing the Nigerian oh, doctor. Oh, and that concussion. Was, no, it wasn't okay. concussion. It was concussion or something. It was concussion. Yeah. Oh, Lord. It was concussion, but it was something like that. But whatever the case is, that accent. <laughs> I remember he had a voice coach at that, and I think... Please, I don't even care if I've got this wrong, actually, to be honest. I swear the voice coach, vocal coach was white as well. But you had a vocal coach for to do this accent and you didn't do it right. And we have a long list of African-Americans playing African, especially African. And when, anyway, call Runnings, come on. Call Runnings, come on. Come on, come on. This, let's not let this argument get out of hand at all. It's like the argument would be, okay, all those fil films, like how many of them have like been Oscar nominated? Don Chingdewin. What film was that? Hotel, that Rwanda, Hotel Rwanda and Forrest Whitaker, was it the same film when he played Idi Amin? No, that wasn't it. Different film. Forrest Whitaker when he played Idi Amin and Don Cheadle in Hotel Rwanda. So yeah. two. Okay. I think like those, the, those kind of examples are usually bad and they're not esteemed. And I think the problem is, is that people like Daniel Kaluuya are top of the field, they're getting Oscar nominated, they're getting the best roles. But then that's what I'm saying, it's, it's global competition, baby. I, 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 think, I think that's the point. It really is. It's like, But I think when you start championing being oppressed, this is where it gets you because then you always see yourself as a victim. It doesn't matter where you want to grab your victimhood from, you're going to place yourself as a victim. And that's what we all need to like shake off. D this whole oppression Olympics, it's like, no, nah, that's done. That, yeah. that, that's yeah. the superpower that black people gained on the 21st of the 12th, is that we're done with that oppression shit. We are gods. Like, it's, that's, that's the thing. It ain't to fly. It's that I'm not going to be parta partaking in the oppression Olympics. Has, did Yvette tweet after the 21st? Because maybe she's had a superpower and reversed everything. <laughs> What I'm saying, maybe the, 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 the Ados part that <laughs> kicked in and was oh, like... Ronald just said something. 
so true. He said, no, I was thinking this, you know. Me too. He says, Ados belief is similar to Trumpian belief that only native born Americans matter. Yeah. Precisely. That's exactly what I was thinking. Final note Wakanda. I have that as my notes, like seriously. The whole of it. I mean, of the men, only Daniel was um African. And then the women is Dana, isn't it? Some of the Dora Milaje, because um one of the one of the ones at the forefront, Florence Florence Masumba, I'm sure I could tell her name wrong, she too. So women a little bit easier, but Daniel Clear was the only African American. No, Danny Sapani, he was he was an extra, to be oh, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in there. Yeah. To be fair. I mean, but, do you know what? But they did it. That was the nice unity. That was nice. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And they loved it. They were happy for everyone to unify and for roles to be mixed across the globe. I think the the thing for this was because it's fictional. So it doesn't matter. So they're no, they came for Daniel for get out. They came for him when yeah, he yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and every role that Cynthia's had, somebody's oh, had yeah. to say about it. They don't like Cynthia, do They do yeah. not like Cynthia. Like, not even to be fair, but Cynthia had, it's that Cynthia had a few conversations that was kind of teasing slightly, but joking. So that's why they turned on her. But they have been vicious towards Yvonne Origi and East oh, Ray. Yeah. One's a Nigerian, isn't it? Everyone exactly. hates and yeah. Yeah. And you know so, And they come for her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Anissa Ray. Anissa Ray, is she Jamaican? No, no, no. Okay. Well, I've noticed this kind of like anti definitely, well, I would call them African Americans because they're American. Yeah, African American immigrants. First generation, they seem to really, and it does feel very UK based. It feels like what we went through. It is. Yeah. At the same time, I am like, okay, when does this, when does this change? Like, when, when will they have their kind of plateau? Maybe it's in like maybe twenty years time. I don't know. Took us about that long. It could, it could happen because a lot of them went over in the eighties. Well, definitely my Ghanaian family getting into America. It seemed to that migration seemed to happen in the eighties as opposed to the ones that came here seem to get here in the 60s. Mm. So maybe there's a, a few more years to go. Because even my my Grenadian family, like they've gone over like in the 90s and the noughties. So yeah, maybe there's some catching up to do over there. A few more a few more decades and their kids will be all right. <laughs> two, <laughs> two things to correct. Um, um, thank you, Victoria. Uh, Easter Ray is half Senegalese and half American. Okay. Uh, black American. And also, it's, I think there's also an element oh, of. Is it Senegalese? Yeah. It's Senegalese. Yeah. Um, and also, there's this thing about power, isn't it? The shift right now, Afrobeats, because we, I've, like I said, I think we spoke about it before. Over here, there were some comments when Afrobeats started to take over the charts from some Caribbean, especially there was this particular Caribbean artist who was like, it will never take yeah. over reggae. And I was like, calm down. It's okay. You're not going to lose. No one's going to stop hating. No one's going to stop loving reggae. And you yeah. know, Africans love reggae too. So calm down. And I think it's a little bit of shift of power in America, seeing that, ah, oh, all these Nigerians predominantly, and then Caribbeans and people are coming into their own and the Brits. 
all this type of stuff. And it's just a bit shift of power. It's scary to anyone and it's being manipulated. I think this is the thing. When they do these surveys of like the best performing immigrants, yeah, it's always Nigerians. <laughs> People just get every time. You so, Nigerians don't help yourself, do you? But why should you? Let's move on to Sad Mad Glad before we get into the best two. Okay. Sad, mad, glad. Before we get into some right. auntie wars, no, thank you. So I am glad that I've done all my Christmas shopping. I am mad at tier four, and that Christmas is cancelled in advert commas. And I am sad that I could be arrested because I'm not staying in my house. Yeah, <laughs> auntie Nana. Yeah, I, I was just sad at. Boris announcing on Saturday at four o'clock. I thought that was bang out of order. Uh, and I'm really sad for the businesses and all of the people that had planned to finally be doing like Christmas markets and that got cancelled. Like, I just really feel sorry for all of those people and flower markets and all of that jazz. It's like that. I just feel sorry for small independent businesses this Christmas. I really would love. What would make me super glad is that in the new year, there is some type of rescue package for them. And it's from 50 grand to 150,000 that they can put in and get compensation for their lost earnings at Christmas. That would make me very happy. I'm sad that if, you know, Europe continues to hate on the UK, I might not be able to fly out (laughs) this year. So I'm a bit I'm a bit sad about that, although I know it's for the right reasons, whatever, blah blah blah. I'm mad because of tier four. Like I've like I said on Saturday, I was fuming. I'm just sick of this government. I'm sick of their lies and how they're giving us, you know, misinformation. I just hate them with a passion right now. But I will work through that over the next couple of days and be a calm person. And I'm glad that Christmas is coming. So that means 2020 is almost over. And I can't Boy. wait to see the back of this year. So you we don't know what's coming next. I'm not chatting too much about 2021. Yeah. Like, I'm with you, Auntie, now. Let's just keep it moving, innit? Let's not get <laughs> no, up too much. I'm hopeful. I'm, um, I'm not even saying nothing. I'm mad. I've got Amazon deliveries. I'm going to have to quickly go and get it. They're just at the door. I'm, I might have to walk with you guys. Sad. <laughs> I'm sad about tier four because I don't know what the world's going to be in the future. I'm mad. Do you know what? I'm mad because about people that think they've got access to me because I've been getting some messages like, oh, can you just post this on TVB? And I'm trying to introduce an organised process, but people feel like they can just... I don't I don't mind because I get, like, friends who want things posted, but I just feel there's a little bit of insen- insensitive behaviour when you just expect things to be done immediately. I love you all. I love that you really want my stuff, your stuff to go on our platform, but there's a process. There's an email. And um, just please understand. And I'm also mad because hackers try to hack me platform and try to lock us and shut us down. They lock us out of Instagram and it's finally back. So thank you to Aquia and Becky who helped me sort that out. And I'm really glad that my superpowers have kicked in because I stopped eating ice. I think that was my superpower. Yeah. yeah. I'm well, I've so let's hope it stays. Um, let her get her chip. Get out of you know, like her one year so far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what I need. And um, yeah, that's it. So my supervisor kicked in. And I think, do you know what? I really think they kicked in because I feel a level of zen because that hack and being blocked out of Insta really could have sent me over the edge because it's a lot. 
it's business, not because I'm emotionally attached to my Instagram. And that's it. And quickly, I'm going to stay in the hallway now. Uh, <laughs> my unpopular opinion, which actually I'm renaming Don't Piss Me Off. Do you know what's getting us on my nerves right now? It's people who say that they are empaths. And I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> It's really like... What does that mean, though? What does it mean, actually? Exactly. Ask, ask the question, Auntie Shard. I need to actually sit down like so I can get vegetables. <laughs> no. no, this is what's pissing me off. Like, oh, I'm an empath. How the fuck do you know? I like, I don't, like, okay, if you're, if you're spiritual and you know these things for real, for real, I'm not going to take that away. But I just feel like people like to self-diagnose and say things without really knowing things because... You know you can be sympathetic just normally and you can be empathetic just normally. You just might be a person that empathizes and sympathizes. It doesn't mean to say you have this big grand title of I'm an empath and I feel things. That's inherently what people, humans do. So where's, okay, I'd like oh, to- No, so the definition says, the qualifier is, you actually sense and feel emotions as if they're part of your own experience. In other words, someone else's pain and happiness becomes your pain and happiness. Physically, actually, and really. Yeah. So how many people now with that definition who are watching this show can now really say with their chest that they're empaths? Like, I really don't, because it's like when people say, I've got OCD. Do you, because that's a psychological <laughs> mental disability. Do you? Are you that can be an empath. If you're looking at like, you know, like, if someone wrongs my friends, yeah, you've wronged me. Like, it's yes. just, it's such a, I, I can't even, and, and it's got that's been a good friend. But that's been, but that's, mm -hmm. I think that's we have been a good friend. But to a point where they could let it go, I haven't let it go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's elements to, to my point, there's elements about limits to what people feel. I get that. But I think it's the people that really claim I'm an empath. It's like you're taking on something that you, it's just, it diminishes it for the people who really are. And you're taking on something that you might not actually really want. Do you actually want this? We're throwing around these titles. It's like OCD. That's a serious illness. And I get there's levels, again, of cringe, disgust, hate. But you know the people that have to count 20 times before they leave the house? And if they don't do it, their whole day is fucked and they have to get back into bed or something. Or their mental faculties. But there's levels, though. But I there's said that I know there's levels, but let's not please. Can people stop self-diagnosing, giving themselves big titles? Because it's not always like that. And people say, oh, "I'm so crazy." Are you though? Because crazy. People <laughs> say they're crazy. And anyone, around, anyone who's walking around saying they're crazy, if they are saying they're crazy, then they are crazy because they're actually going, "I'm crazy, I'm crazy, I'm crazy." Like, do you know what I mean? Let's all stop. What if, what, what if you like? Because I'm like, challenging my my my. my no, 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 no. I think it's interesting because like sometimes yeah, I don't I don't really like as you guys know I don't really like people in general. I like sure. some people, but I'm limited. I can only have a certain amount of friends at a certain a time sure. as well because it's too many. It's too much stuff. Sure. Too much emotions and like so I kind of like maybe block that because there's too much stuff that I don't want to take on. So like I don't know if that's an empath. But I definitely can feel people's Auntie Shade. Yeah. You are a psychic and you've also got powers. So you, <laughs> I would if you said you're an empath, I take that. But there's people out there saying, I'm an empath. What the fuck qualified? No, because I, I got sad because someone else was just just because I saw no 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 no. There's human emotions, it's real. Thank you guys. That was your auntie <laughs> episode 42. Please come back and join us next week, as usual, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. We are on YouTube as well, and we have all the socials as well. And this Sunday, we've got our Aunties After Dark special. We are talking about, we're asking the question, is black love overrated? Now, 
I'm going to be real. We're finding it really difficult to find a black man who will be say with his chest that he doesn't give a fuck about black love and will date white women or other women regardless. Hard to find someone to guess. So if you know anyone that can join the conversation or at least be in the comments so we can get them to challenge our or some of us, you know, I don't even know what all the, all the aunties think. But anyway, black love is overrated. Uh, Sunday, 27th of December, 9 p.m. This is Aunties After Dark. It's where we get more sweary than we will usually are. Sure, I'm a bit sweary today. I'm a bit more sweary. And um, I'm not talk. And we have a drink. Well, we always have, but we have more drinks, cocktails. We yes, encourage everybody to drink. Oh my God, yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Christmas, everybody. Yes, Merry Christmas. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Well, Ronald has done a, a glad. Oh, oh, yeah. says, I'm glad that the next American Secretary of the Interior will be a Native American woman. She will oversee the government's owned lands that were stolen from her ancestors. Look oh, at that. Oh, that's lovely. And they, just, they just announced that, is it, I don't even know which state, sorry, I should have that fact. Um, there's a state that's been declared 50% Native American. I just saw it, but I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone saying Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. I, I totally Merry forgot to Christmas. do that. Merry Christmas. On Sunday, or whatever they were doing it, the 27th. What are you saying? Is. I'm saying everyone wear the Christmas jumpers because it's oh, the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 20, so 27th Christmas jumpers. Wait, 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 hold on. There's three people in here that have business lines that have Christmas jumpers. What the fuck is my jumper, please? I don't have any Christmas jumpers. I never got around to doing it. So, okay. Okay. Hi, guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> End the show, end the show, cut! Oh.